I bought a I bought a pound of dice once. That was in a similar realm. Like dice you use to play games. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Like just to have spares. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, not just like D6s, but all the various polyhedral. Mm. What's the most sides on a die, on a die you can buy? Like a hundred? You can definitely buy D hundred. Wow. Those are, those are not uncommon. I'm sure there are higher ones. It has to be really big, right? Because not really. Um, so D hundreds do it a couple different ways. So the, the easiest way is you use two D tens. Um, and one is your ones place, and one is your tens place. Okay. And that is as random as having a hundred different faces on a yeah, die. It's the same thing. Um, there are other ones that I think there's. I've seen ones that have a hundred discrete faces, but those are a little bit dumb. The other kind is actually a sphere, but it has the numbers on it, and it's uh, you. It's like two two spheres, one inside the other. One is a glass uh-huh. or plastic clear. Um, the other one is not, and it's usually in a suspended liquid. Kind of like a magic eight ball, mm-hmm. and so you can roll it, and then whatever number pops the top, uh, in a little circle, huh. is the number you rolled. Those are neater, but not as efficient. Like rolling two d ten and getting and say this is my ten die, this is my hundred die, right. is better and faster. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. guess a, a one hundred sided die would just almost be a sphere. Yeah, like it's pretty close. Very yeah. Close to the sphere, you probably couldn't roll it on like a soft surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now your standard uh, dice sizes that you use for your standards adventurer's kit mm-hmm. is a D4, which is uh, a pyramid, a triangular based pyramid. Right. Um, also called caltrops because if you step on them, they hurt. Because <laughs> they got the pointy side always comes up. Right. Uh, that's your D4, your D6, your, your classic cube, mm-hmm. uh, your D8, which is an eight sided polyhedral. Um, imagine two pyramids stacked on top of each other, two four-sided pyramids, butt-to-butt. Yeah. Your D10. I prefer uh, face-to-face. That makes me less uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it would. Uh, your D10, your D12, and then your D20. And those are good dice. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, the Pound of Dice has been a thing that Chessex, one of the major dice companies, has been doing for years. Um, also, there, when you go to cons occasionally, uh, people who sell dice will have, like, dice tubs uh, where they'll have, like, you know the pitcher that you get at, like, super low-key bars, the little plastic, like, mm-hmm. half-gallon pitcher? Yeah. Um, you can buy a pitcher full of dice. And there's all just different kinds of... And so, yeah, they've just got a big, giant tub full of all of the dice that they sell randomized and you can take a picture and just scoop them up whatever you get that's what you keep that's incredible yeah you don't ever need that many dice <laughs> yeah i guess you just have them just to have yeah it's a show of how much you enjoy playing games a little bit yeah uh, well, and that way you've always got spares. Like a buddy of mine bought, uh, it was not a pound of dice, but it was in a similar sort of vein of like bulk dice. Um, he had had a bunch that he'd collected over the years and then lost a bunch of them. So he just bought like a 20 pack of adventurer sets that had each one of each of those. Mm-hmm. And then he has them. And right. 
now when we go over there, if you ever forget his dice, yeah, you get here's a bag of dice. You got plenty. Is there a difference between like like cheap dice and really nice dice? Like, are there good materials? Good. Like, so there are. Quality? I would say there are fancy dice. I wouldn't say that they are necessarily nicer or or better. There's no like better performing dice. Not really. Uh, so you like casino style dice, which are are very finely crafted to be incredibly fair mm -hmm. and get switched out all the time because they get worn out right um and then become less fair and then you know if you if you roll them a bunch they're going to get worn on the edges and sides and things like that and they get traded out and casinos sell canceled dice like you can buy them oh that's clever yeah it's it's a neat little like souvenir yeah uh, it's like these dice have been. I think usually they like they're like drilled through or something to like fully destroy them, so you can't like switch them out at the crafts table and be like, ha ha ha! I'm using these trick dice because they're not dumb. Right. Uh, but for most gaming dice, the quality is good enough. Right. So you know, oh, is it truly random? Eh, probably not. Nothing. Uh, and people, of course, have dice rituals. Of all shapes and sizes. You say, of course, like I'm supposed to know that that's a thing. <laughs> well, people are superstitious. Okay. So uh, people will get very particular about who can touch their dice or which dice they use for certain things. Uh, I had a DM who had a dungeon master, by the way. I, I knew that. Okay. I know, but I was saying for the folks at home. For the listener. Yeah. Uh, you may also hear GM, which is game master, which is a little more broad uh, if you're not necessarily playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and I had a GM that I played with for a long time who had his, what he called the screw the players dice. Um, and he had a D20 that he was just convinced always rolled really high or really low uh, for whatever reason. And there's all sorts of, you know, cognitive bias and recognizing patterns, apophenia, ap recognizing patterns when there are none. Mm -hmm. It's a good word, by the way, apophenia. That is a good word. Thank you. And... So, like, there are people who won't let you touch their dice, uh, or who, when their dice are facing, have to be resting on a certain face. They either have to have, like, all of them have to have their one up or their highest number up, uh, or they have to be in a certain, you know, order on the table, you know, from low to high. This sounds like something that I would do. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's stuff like, I've done it. Uh, I care less now, but people have absolutely done it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I do things like that less for, like, not like superstitious reasons like there's going to be in some not generating you're going to roll poorly effect like, yeah. yeah i'm not going to do something to my dice that's going to make them give me good luck yeah uh but just because just make them all face the same number because 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 they should yeah because if they can why wouldn't they yeah, yeah. that's valid uh, i care less no, about that it's not it's stupid <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay that's, fine it's stupid that's bad compulsive behavior <laughs> Uh, I will say that you asked about like fancy dice. So, so their standard dice are all plastic, right. uh, but there are fancy dice that are made of interesting materials. So I've got a stainless steel set of dice really? that are, that are my favorite. My sister got them for me many years ago mm -hmm. and I like to use them. I have to be careful with them because they are heavy and can dent tables. Oh wow. Yeah. So you have to be wary of them. I don't use them all the time, but I like having them. Um, but there are all sorts of, you know, dice made out of various metals Dice made out of uh, semi-precious gems, hmm. uh, semi-precious like stones, like right. quartz and 
certain kinds of crystals. Yeah, looky fancy looking things. Not, not like emeralds. I mean, you could probably buy some like actual emerald dice, but most people won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, or wooden dice, or like. I feel like maybe there's something made out of bone. Probably, yeah. Like well, his, historically, the first dice were made out of bones. I don't know. I just know that fact. Is that like is that why dice are white? Because yes, I believe so. Uh, yeah, early dice we that we have were made out of bone. Wow, this is a fun thing I did not expect. Yeah, to now you learned about dice. Love it. Uh, but they're they're all only pseudo random. Right. Nothing. There's no system that's actually truly. Well, there's random enough. It's how random do you want to be? Um, and, you know, I probably have dice that if I rolled them thousands of times would show their bias. Right. Rather than, like, in the casino dice, which are intentionally milled in a certain way to be certainly balanced and are thrown in certain ways. Like, I don't know if you've ever played craps. I haven't. But when you do it at a casino, you're required to hit the back wall okay. um, of the craps table, which has, like, points sticking out of it. Uh in as so as to make it very very difficult for any sort of consistent bias to be shown mm. because you roll them against the table and you have to hit the back wall and they're going to bounce off of that right it's adding more uh unpredictability entropy. yeah 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 because yeah, i guess if you if you held if you started holding your dice in the same orientation in your hand and then you rolled them very carefully every time you could probably produce you that is the idea. Yeah. Um, it is very, very difficult to do that. Nobody's been shown to do it. Really? Um, not that I've seen. I've looked into it. Now, there are lots of people who will teach, say they can teach you how to do that. <laughs> uh, but they are charlatans. Sure. But they will buy you books, or you can sell you books and videos and systems uh-huh. and how to hold your die. Because that is theoretically possible that you can, yes, if you if you have full total control of the system and are able to reproduce the same action every time. Yeah. That's how physics works. Yeah, you yeah, you do the same thing and you get the same results. Yeah. Except when there's chaos. At the yeah. <laughs> Which is why you got to hit the back wall. Right. More chaos. Yeah. What are your Thanksgiving plans? Driving up to Dallas, mm-hmm. see my folks and my sister. Uh, we're going to drive up probably Tuesday morning. Nice. And Stay there. We probably will come home Saturday because mm-hmm. everybody's going to come home on Sunday, and that's terrible. Yeah. Traffic is so bad already. Is it bad, like, driving from Dallas to Austin? Yes. Really? We drove, well, we drove from Austin to Dallas once for Thanksgiving. I got it done on, like, Wednesday. I was going to have Thanksgiving off and come back on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and work Black Friday. Uh, and it took us nine hours to drive from Austin to Dallas. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. On Wednesday. So we're going to drive in on Tuesday. Yeah. Smart. And not in any like, not going to look like super early. Amy's going to go get an allergy shot first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to put our cat in the car, which is always work. <laughs> Does the cat not like driving? No. Oh. Not at all. <laughs> Cat hates it. Does it cry and yell? Uh huh. So we took Felicity to the vet on Saturday, so yesterday, uh, and she threw up on the way back, like in the car. Like, she's just so miserable. Yeah. My old cat was like that. He would yeah. just sit there with his mouth half open and uh-huh. meow every couple seconds. Yeah, she gets really foamy. She foams up. 
Yeah. And it makes a little foam beard and we laugh at her for it. Uh, she poops defensively. <laughs> like a snake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she pukes. We usually take her food away the day before, like, which is mean, but we don't want her puking and pooping in the car as much as possible. Better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So we take her food away. Usually, uh, we'll take it on like Monday. Um, and we bought a thunder shirt for her mm-hmm. in hopes that that will help reduce her anxiety. This will be the first time trying. Yes. All right. I thought cats didn't like to have things. Well, they said something about dogs too, but thunder shirts are very popular for dogs. Yeah, like I guess dogs would make sense, but I don't know. I feel like cats don't like things touching them. That's yeah, worth a shot. Yeah, we're gonna try it. Is the, is all this better than uh, dumping a bunch of food in a big bowl and leaving her home? Yeah, we couldn't do that because you would feel bad. No, because she needs attention. Would she like destroy something? She would. She would poop on things. She would pee on things. <laughs> she would destroy things. Okay. Like when we do leave her at home, we have to hire somebody to come in and check on her and spend like an hour or two petting her every day. I'm the weirdest cat. <laughs> yes. What if you have a dog. <laughs> you have a small gray dog that meows. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Theo doesn't mind driving. The problem is uh, being able to pick him up and put him in something. Mm hmm. Uh, which is... He's strong. Takes hours. Wow. Of work. And, uh... You have, like, a carrier you're trying to put him in? Yeah, we got, like, a, I have a carrier for him. Yeah. Uh, and I have special, like, sedative treats. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've got those for our cats. She doesn't like them. He, she doesn't eat them. He does like them, but just... It, it'll take, like, 30 minutes to coax him into, like, eating yeah. something that you put in front of him. <laughs> And then being able to actually, like, get him close enough to you where you can use two hands to grab him <laughs> and pick him up before he runs away. And yeah, him. yeah. Uh, and then once he is in your hands, he will he will be, like, freaking out mm-hmm. trying to escape. Very him, unhappy. And maneuvering him into a carrier. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a little bit of work. Yeah, we have to do it with the gravity assist where we hold the carrier vertically and kind of yeah. drop Felicity <laughs> in. She won't go in head first. We got to put her in butt first, and the gravity helps. Yeah, they can't fight gravity. Nope. Um, what do you? Uh, I'm curious about like Thanksgiving traditions. What do you do? What's a, what's a we don't have Saunders many. I mean, so I haven't done Thanksgiving like consistently since I've come to Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done all We did. We've cooked uh, bulgogi, Korean food because it's really good. Hmm. Uh, we've. A lot of times, when my folks have come down to visit us, we have done uh, pre-made Thanksgiving dinners from, like, Sprouts or Whole Foods. Yeah, like you just pick up the whole meal. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then reheat it. That sounds very convenient. It's so easy. And is it good? Yeah, it's good enough. Yeah. Like, it's not the world's best turkey or the world's best mashed potatoes, but it's good enough. Mm-hmm. And it is so little work. Yeah. Thanksgiving, is when, like, when you do it yourself... It's so much work. Yeah. It's, it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, my sister really likes cooking, so that's really good because she's in town. Mm-hmm. And so she's going to do it. And I'm going to help because I also enjoy cooking. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't know that I'm good at it, but I enjoy it and I like thinking about it and making things. Yeah, I like the activity of it. Yeah. Even if I don't really, I don't do it creatively mm-hmm. for myself. I've tried to be more creative. Um, I, I go, I have a regular Sunday night game group that I usually play with. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm not going to both of them tonight because I'm recording this and this is fun. But uh, we rotate dinner duties. So, you know, if there's six of us every six weeks, you got to make dinner for the guys. Uh, and m- many of the guys make like pizza. And by make pizza, I mean go to Domino's. <laughs> <laughs> If they're feeling real fancy, they'll buy, like, a Stouffer's lasagna. Mm, there you go. And, like, I make things. Yeah, you'll actually... Like, I'll I'll bring the ingredients and make a thing on this guy's, like, stove. Like what? Uh, so the one, my go-to, uh, what they call Kevin Soup, uh, which is the lowest effort food I can make, which is taco soup, uh-huh. where you get cans of corn... Three different types of beans. Pick your three. I like black. I like uh, kidney borracho beans, which are just kidney beans with spices on them. Um, probably not baked beans. Those are those are going to be weird. That's a different flavor. It's a different flavor. Yeah. Um, but you can like black, pinto, navy, kidney, okay. whatever. Uh, a can of corn, one of each of those three types of beans. Uh, a can of crushed tomatoes. And like you can, you can if you feel extra fancy, like brown some ground meat, mm-hmm. or you can do what I do, which is throw in some cans of chicken. Okay. Uh, you open up all these cans. You do not drain them. You just pour them directly into the pot. And, and the can liquid becomes the soup liquid. Yes. Okay. Uh, then you take a packet of taco seasoning, <laughs> and you mix that in. There you go. And you serve it over chips, and you put some shredded cheese on it. That sounds pretty good. It's great. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's the lowest effort food I can make. Nothing fancy, but no. that's going to taste good. Yeah. And you can you can fancy it up. You can throw some Rotel in there if you want to do that. Or you can uh, – I had a friend who, who really likes turkey, and so we put turkey in his. And it's sure. like you can, you, can, you can increase the difficulty and add more steps and more things, and that's fine. Yeah. You can do, you know, sour cream if you want to make it creamier. You can do other things. I don't care. But that's, that's one of the things I make pretty consistently. Yeah. So they call it Kevin Soup. Better than Stouffer's lasagna. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, And I've, like, made things up. Like, I was like, I'm going to make a hash. Like, I think hashes are – I watch a lot of cooking shows. Mm -hmm. And on, like, Cutthroat Kitchen, I'm like, I don't know what to make. I'm going to make a hash. Make it out of whatever. Yeah. Uh, You chop up some potatoes. You put some stuff in it. And you pan sear it all. And you've got a hash. And so I made, like, a sweet potato hash. Like, it was a bunch of sweet potatoes, a bunch of not sweet potatoes. So it was calico. So some russets, some sweet potatoes, some eggs, yeah, and like I think some bell pepper. Yeah, but I'm like just like, and I didn't have a recipe. I didn't like step by step like invent all of the things to do it. But I was like, I know enough about food that I can just cook these things. Right, right. I'm like, yeah, I have like two different kinds of cooking. Like, yeah, I can can follow as complicated and Mm -hmm. technical a recipe as you give me and it'll come out decent yeah but i do it in a very uncreative robotic way Mm -hmm. or if i'm just cooking something it will be something very very simple Mm -hmm. basic and i don't need like i don't need a recipe and i can just throw something together off the top of my head like i've never made a hash off the top of my head but like something similar but i've described it and you go i could make that right like if i had some potatoes and i was like oh what do i could do with these potatoes like i could just make a hash from them but i can't just like throw together uh, some fancy meal yeah thinking about it i would have to like study your recipe well i've i've been um so i i have a couple of like food bibles mm-hmm. um that i use to sort of like guide me like one of them is the america's test kitchen cookbook yep. because it's great yep. 
Oh, they came up with a new one and made me mad. But of course they did. But <laughs> so about a year or so ago, I got an ad from America's Test Kitchen like, hey, all 15 years of America's Test Kitchen recipes in one big book. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. So I bought it. And they're like, it's 40% off. I'm like, perfect. I'm going to buy it. Uh, it's like, plus all of our equipment recommendations, all of our taste tests. Like, it's a bunch of the stuff that America's Test Kitchen has done, which is great because it's one of my favorite cooking shows. And uh, do you, you watch America's Test Kitchen? Yeah, I've seen a bunch of it. Okay. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Chris Kimball got fired. Right. Uh, he left. Yeah. He got fired <laughs> right. from the thing he created, which is, is kind of terrible. Um, and the new hosts are fine. There, there are people who were on the show previously who were, uh, you know, chefs, and they're, I'm sure they're fine. I haven't watched their episodes yet. Um, but I got an ad like a month ago from America's Test Kitchen, the America's Test Kitchen cookbook with all 16 years of America's Test Kitchen recipes, <laughs> all of our taste tests, all of our equipment. I'm, like, yeah. I'm not gonna buy it, but doesn't have Chris Kimball. Well, it doesn't have Chris Kimball on it. Um, but it was just one of those, like, I mean, of course, they put out a new one every time there's new stuff. Right. Like, that's smart. Right. <laughs> but it made me grumbly. When they hit 30, I'll do it again. When there's another 15 years worth of stuff, I'll, I'll come back. Yeah, you got to get the big milestone. Yeah, so I use that. Um, the combined written works of Alton Brown are another one. Mm-hmm. So I have the three Good Eats cookbooks, which are really more episode guides than cookbooks. <laughs> They're episode guides plus recipes. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's because it's each... It's not sorted by like appetizers, entrees, chicken, fish. Episode it's by episode. episode by episode, uh, and so there's always like a summary of like here's the important things to know from this episode, like what we talked about when you're learning about chocolate or right. Brazil nuts or yeast. Or yeast. I like the yeast episode. Yeah, that makes sense because like that show is it doesn't it doesn't fit the food type by food type. No format. It's it's like this is an episode is an ingredient or a topic. Yeah, or it's an education about that, mm-hmm. that thing. And you learn how to make some things using that information. Right. Um, so there's that. But he's also got a couple other books. Um, his newest one is called Everyday Cook, which I don't own yet, but would like. Uh, it's it's like what he cooks. Yeah. Like it's the stuff that he For makes. Himself, yeah. Home. And sort of has that as a perspective. Because people are like, what? well, Alden Brown, you're this food deity. What do you know about food? Like, how do you, how do you eat? What do you make? Right. Uh, and then his, his first book, uh, which I've not finished reading yet, but is fascinating. Um, I don't know what it's called. He did an updated version. That's when I bought it. He, like, updated some of the science and things. But it's a boot. It, it could be just as easily called, like, How Cooking Works. Okay. And so sort of his mindset was, like, how do... Like, following a recipe is a thing that anybody can do. But if they don't understand the steps in that recipe and why the things are done in certain ways, they're never going to be able to fix mistakes. Right. They're never going to be able to, you know, turn a failed custard into scrambled eggs. <laughs> right. Because you don't understand the relationships between those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he, that's, that's what that book is about. It's about, like, how, how does cooking work? I, I need to read something. Yeah, because that's like a big lack in my knowledge is how, especially like how different kinds of flavors work together, and mm-hmm. if you're looking to change. Like if you're tasting something you're making and you want to change it in a certain way, yeah. what do you add to it? Like how do you how do you change the food to make it different and better? Right, and for me, it's all just like trial and error, and yeah, and just make it up. But I would love to have that knowledge to be like, 
hmm, this feels like it needs a little bit of something. Oh, I know, I'll add thyme to this. Mm -hmm. Like that will, you know, work with all the other ingredients in here to produce this. Yeah. And I, some people just know that Mm -hmm. because they study it and do it for a long time. Yes. (laughs) And so they just know it. (laughs) Is there a, is there like a, people who have perfect pitch, that's not necessarily a thing that you work to acquire. It's like Mm -hmm. innate. More or less, yeah. You can you can refine it, obviously. Does that exist for food? Are there people who have like that food sense just innately, and they don't need to learn it? There are people called super tasters. Okay, but that is a perception thing, not necessarily an ability. Yeah, isn't perfect pitch a perception thing? I guess. I hear this note. I know it's a C sharp. Yeah, I guess that is similar. You're right. But I, I, want, I, wonder, <laughs> I wonder if there's people who innately know, like, like how, like, that, all that, that yeah. knowledge about how flavors work together. I mean, there's probably people who have a better sense of it, but I don't know. I would say it's innate. Yeah. I guess a, a super taster would be better at learning it. Yeah. Super taster goes, oh, there is time in this. Right. And you go, I had no idea. I'm curious about the super tasting thing because... I remember like watching some TV show about it, and mm-hmm. you get super tasters are like often employed by like food manufacturers to mm-hmm. make sure that they're making food consistently. Yeah, like prepackaged food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Someone was like tasting cookies and you know going through like you know a sampling of this manufacturing run of like Oreos or whatever, and they got to make sure like every Oreo is coming out the same. Yeah, except no Oreos are the same. There's too many flavors now. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> When did, when did Oreo start coming out with all these crazy flavors? Like, let's just... They've been building on it for a while. Yeah, it feels like their whole shtick now. And I don't know. I'm getting kind of tired of it. Oh, those uh, Swedish Fish Oreos certainly exist. Listen, Swedish Fish is my favorite candy of all time. That's great. That's a great candy. I will never eat a Swedish Fish Oreo. <laughs> that sounds like a sin. What if instead of a Swedish Fish Oreo, it was just two Oreo cookies with a Swedish Fish between them? No. Like, I would be like, okay, cool. I would like to eat those separately, please. Like, give me some Swedish fish, and then, yeah, maybe it's time for some Oreos. I don't need to eat them together. Or do you? The the, the dryness and crunchiness of the cookie mixed with the gummy chewiness of the fish, it would just not. No. What if you dip it in milk first? I don't need milk anywhere near my Swedish fish. <laughs> this is disgusting. Ugh. Uh, also, on the subject of Oreos, there's no reason for there to be anything other than double stuff Oreos. Regular stuff Oreos, like, were a mistake. <laughs> I feel like they were like, oh shoot, double stuff Oreos are better because this is the correct amount of stuffing. We, they should have just discontinued regular stuff Oreos. Once they figured out double stuff Oreos. Right. And like, there's like triple stuff or mega, mega stuff. stuff. Mega stuff, too much stuff. Too much, too much stuff. Right. Double stuff is correct. Regular stuff is lacking. We just need double stuff. Get rid of all the weird flavors and the extra. I do, I do like sometimes taking two double stuff Oreos uh-huh. and taking a cookie off of each side and putting them together for the, the elusive quadruple stuff. But that's like a novelty. It's yeah. A, it's a, like, I wouldn't buy a pack of those. It's, it's, you know, it's flying in the face of God. You're, <laughs> you're tempting fate by making such a, a creation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were talking about Thanksgiving. Super tasters. We were talking about Thanksgiving, and now we're talking about Oreos. Yeah. Um, I don't normally eat Oreos for Thanksgiving. So. Now, what do you do for Thanksgiving? Uh, normally, it's always just been the, like, hang out with my family, and we always do the, you know, 
make, the spread. Make Thanksgiving together pretty traditional. Like yeah. Um, the last couple of years, I uh, once my family all moved mm-hmm. apart, uh, and when I was married, we did Thanksgiving together, which is how I learned that it's just an incredible amount of work. Yeah. Even for two people. Yeah. Just making Thanksgiving for two people, it's like a two-day affair. Yeah, I get a solo Thanksgiving once. Yeah? Yeah. You just made yourself a Thanksgiving mm-hmm. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, I didn't do the full thing. I did, I did, I had a turkey breast and mm-hmm. a couple of sides. I had mashed potatoes, I think green beans, mm-hmm. but it was just me. Yeah. And that, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's all right. Um, and I really like... I like having the opportunity to spend a ton of time cooking. Yeah. But when I was a kid and like helping my parents make Thanksgiving, they were very good at just assigning me a couple things. I'm like, hey, this is fun. Like, yeah. I, mean, I don't realize how much work the whole entire production <laughs> is. Like I can, you know, mash up some potatoes. Hooray, mm-hmm. I'm helping. Uh, but boy, doing doing the whole thing yourself. Yeah. So. Actually, my sister texted me uh, our Thanksgiving menu. Are there, are there things that you particularly look forward to or that you help make? Uh, at this point, I'm kind of like everything. Yeah. Like I, I don't have like a favorite. Like I love mashed potatoes. Yeah, mashed potatoes is my number one. Uh, my sister makes a, a variant on cornbread that we call spoon bread, uh, and it is it is delicious. Okay. Um, it is. Are there Oreos in it? There are no Oreos in it. <laughs> so you got that. Uh, it is. It's in the vein of a cornbread. Like it's made with cornmeal. Um, I think it's got it's 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 almost got the texture of like a British pudding. Okay. Um, Is that where the spoon comes in? Yeah, because you can eat it with a spoon. But it's bready. It is. It's very bready. Um, it's like if I were to describe it, I would say like cornbread, but you threw like a can of creamed corn in it. So it's not just like wet, undercooked cornbread? No. <laughs> it is fully cooked. It's really good. Um, and that's my sister's like signature dish. Yeah. Like she makes that for everybody, um, which is always a very big deal. But uh, here's, here's the full spread according to my sister. Um, mashed potatoes, dressing, not stuffing. Stuffing is evil. You don't like stuffing? I like dressing. Stuffing is evil. This is an Alton Brownism. You cannot put the stuffing inside of your turkey. Do not stuff your turkey. Okay. Because to keep your stuffing from killing you, you have to bring it to an internal temperature of 165 degrees Mm -hmm. if it's inside of a chicken or turkey or poultry. Uh, And if you do that, you're going to overcook the bird that surrounds it. Right. And so you either have undercooked stuffing that will kill you because it was inside of a chicken or turkey, or you have an overcooked turkey. You make dressing, you make it on the side. It's a separate... Okay, so it's the same thing. You're just calling it dressing. Yeah. It's not literally stuffed. Yes. Yeah, that's what my, my family always did that. Yeah. Make stuffing on the side. Uh, mashed potatoes, dressing, spoon bread, rolls, like classic just... White dinner rolls. White dinner rolls. Yeah. Uh, green beans. Green beans. <laughs> green green beans. Green beans. <laughs> Brussels sprouts, salad, turkey, and gravy. All right. So about as traditional as we can get. Yeah. Uh, there will probably be some dessert along their own cranberry sauce. Uh, we're making homemade cranberry sauce. Yeah. Uh, where do you fall on the cranberry sauce thing? Do you enjoy canned cranberry sauce? I've never had cran- canned cranberry sauce. Really? Yeah. Like, I've seen it. Like, my grandfather would always, like, 
have slices of it yeah. uh, at the table. Hmm. And he would eat it, and I never touched it because it looked gross. Yes. Um, but I also I also didn't like cranberries for a long time. Like I've grown into appreciating cranberries mm. uh, in a way that I did not. And so I'm tempted to like try it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's it's fine as its own thing if you consider it to be separate from actual cranberry sauce. Okay. It's like it's like really tart cranberry jelly. Yep, that's exactly what I expected it to be. It's, it, it's like someone took like grape jelly from a jar mm-hmm. and like put it on your plate, except it tasted like cranberries. <laughs> like I don't get why people would want to eat that. Yeah. On, just on its own, but homemade cranberry sauce. Real good. Is yeah, really good. Yeah. And I like I'll I'll eat a canned cranberry sauce if mm-hmm. it's presented to me. But yeah. I, I consider it just an entirely different thing. That's valid. Yeah. Um, my signature, like I always made the mashed potatoes. Okay. Um, yeah, those are my dad. My dad made the mashed potatoes. And we learned like I will eat pounds after pounds after pounds. Yes, after yes, we learned that recently. Um, but mashed potatoes gotta have a lot of uh, sour cream and cream cheese mixed into them. Okay. Which is both yes. seems weird. Yes, I know. Okay. But it's really good. Like one or the other, I could get behind. A little bit of both. It's weird. And then uh, plenty of butter and cream, cream, salt and pepper. Yeah, salt and pepper and rosemary. No rosemary. A little bit of rosemary. Kosher salt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of potato? You know, it's funny. I don't know that I know. Really? Yeah. Like part of me, like my gut just goes russet because that's that's, that's the potato. Um, Personally, when I make mashed potatoes, we use red potatoes more than often than not. Yeah, uh, that's that's our primary potato. Um, but I don't actually know what my family may chew. Like, what <laughs> potato does my family choose right. for? Because it's not red potato. Like, I know no. we don't do a smashed potato with with the skin on and all that sort of stuff. And that, that that's what I like the red potato with most of the skin mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. Um, but what what my my parents always did was you you make the mashed potatoes and you mix all the stuff mm-hmm. and season them and get them all all ready and then you put it in a like a casserole dish and then put it in the oven for a little bit and then the top gets a little huh. you cover it in butter and the top gets a little a little bit browned and so it's a, a mashed potato casserole almost like, kind of kind of it's just you, you're finishing the mashed yeah. potatoes and stuff like that that's interesting um the other thing I always uh, mostly helped make what uh, pumpkin cookies. Yeah, you've told me about these. Yeah, the flat, like cup after cup of flour endlessly, endlessly mixing by hand. Yeah, yeah. The dough pumpkin cookies, because we always made like like five or six dozen of them. (laughs) Um, Other than that, just like pretty traditional, you know, turkey, yeah, gravy, stuffing, various random. And of course, this is this is a, a very interesting time for us as well because Amy's dissertation is on Puritans. Mm. Um, which often get conflicted with pilgrims. <laughs> yes. And so we see them all over the place, and we're like, look, pilgrims! And we have to talk about it and be like, look, pilgrims! Um, does, does she have like all kinds of special historical knowledge about Thanksgiving? Um, yes. Uh, Thanksgiving as a holiday. Thanksgiving as a, as a ritual. Right. Um, not like, I mean, like she knows like Thanksgiving didn't exist in the 18th century. Like, it wasn't celebrated. It wasn't a thing. Right. Um, fun fact, 
Pilgrims didn't wear buckles. Those are Puritans. Nope. Okay. Oh, who wore the buckles? Uh, so buckles were put onto depictions of things that were old. <laughs> That's it? Pretty much. So, like, the, the depictions of, like, pilgrims and Puritans wearing buckles on their hats and everything was like, it's like look at these people from the past. They're wearing buckles. Hmm. It's like putting bell bottoms on somebody. To make it look like it's from the past. Yeah. History is so weird. <laughs> oh man, I was thinking about this recently. Like, once mm -hmm. once everyone who lived during a certain time is dead, like, there's no hope that you can actually remember anything correctly. Yeah, but that's what the historians are for. Like, that's that's their job. But it's what. So the idea of correctly is a false one because we don't remember things correctly now. Yeah, right. Like, I don't remember like, we exactly don't, what I ate for breakfast. Yeah, or, but we don't. Doesn't work like. Well, it's not even just memory, but, like, we have conflicting opinions of what is happening right. in, like, everything. Like, everybody has different perspectives, and, and so when you write history, or when certain people write history, there are certainly your, your empiricists who are like, if it's not written down in somebody's diary, it didn't happen. <laughs> we don't have scads of evidence. It's not a thing. Yeah. Um, which is how you get to that, that failure point of, like, well, we will never really know what happened because we don't have the evidence, so we're done. Uh, whereas uh, historians are also and often are also historiographers who are the di difference being history is is what happened in the past historiography is how do we write what happened in the past right it's like a matter of interpreting instead of mm -hmm. cataloging yeah well cuz ca cuz cataloging is a type of doing that that privileges certain pieces of information certain understandings of the world it is not objective, despite what the empiricists would have you believe. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not objective, even if it's more direct. Mm -hmm. Like, it's direct information from particular sources, but it's still those particular sources. And it privileges the sources that exist, right. that still exist. Right. Like, uh, black people didn't get to write much of the history of slavery. Mm -hmm. White people did. Yeah. <laughs> And we do have some slave narratives, and you know there were many slaves who learned to write and right. read, and people who experienced that. And you know the famous reasoning there, of course, the, the the book Twelve Years a Slave," which was a diary of a guy who was captured and brought into slavery for twelve years. Right. Um, and so we have we have those things, but we certainly don't have lots of them. Right. We certainly don't have extensive copies of all of this, and that that we've destroyed narratives. We have to find ways to bringing them back and talking about how we talk about them and understanding that how we talk about them affects how we think about them right you know yeah puritans wore buckles because of course they, the pilgrims all had buckle hats look at all these pictures of them yeah buckles yeah obviously <laughs> obviously that's so stupid that's so dumb because like before anyone told me that i would have just lived my entire life with the dumb simple knowledge that yeah that's just what they wore because that's what all the pictures of them look like mm -hmm. And nope, like that, can, that can be wrong. Yeah. Or uh, the other side of that that's really fascinating to me is you look at um, a lot of medieval art mm -hmm. um, and depictions, particularly like religious depictions, of people uh, like Jesus, like religious, you know, famous depictions of Jesus. Often he is a European-looking man. Right. Uh, which we, have, of course, know historically. Well, he didn't come from that area. Like that's not where, you know, it was, it was Israel. Like yeah. that... Different, different yeah. thing. He was Palestinian. Yeah. Just like Palestinian. Yeah. Um, 
And like that was the the purpose of depicting him as white was not the limit of that. They also depict him in, in modern for the era clothing and dress and the people around him and pick, and all of these sorts of religious depictions were, were modernized as we would say today versions of what or contemporary versions of what people were wearing and what people looked like yeah. because the idea was that it was transcending historic history right it doesn't matter what he actually looked like it doesn't matter what clothes he actually wore so we're just going to make it look like what people wear today so it'll be relatable right like putting jesus in bell bottoms <laughs> <laughs> Pulled that reference out twice, and I feel good about it. Which is a, if we still did that, I'd like to see a 21st century, like, hipster depiction of Jesus. Like, let's just, you know, depict him in a contemporary way. He's just a dude who wears, like, hoodies and skinny jeans. And... Yeah. I think he'd wear Birkenstocks. <laughs> <laughs> when I was skinnier, I got called Jesus a lot. Beard and the hair? Yeah. yeah. And my hair was significantly shorter. My hair was, was like, Jesus ears. Length. Yeah, Jesus length. Yeah. Yeah, as we know how long Jesus' hair was, <laughs> that's what it looked like. Yeah, he had a very, very nice beard. Yeah. Chiseled abs and uh, yeah. shoulder-length, luscious, luxurious, beautiful hair. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but that's sort of but, – but so we have this history of, like, that's how he was depicted. Right. And that's how he's entered the public mindset. And that's how you end up in, you know, three years ago, Megyn Kelly telling everyone on Fox News that Jesus was white. Just like Santa. Because of course he is. Look at all the pictures. Yeah. So how we tell history is way more interesting than the actual history. Or not way more, but just as interesting and just as important. Right. Yeah, I like that idea of if your job as a your job as a historian is just to like do the best you can. Like it's impossible to have a goal of like per perfect perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge and perfect. Till we invent time travel. Oof. Yeah, that'll really mess us up. Yeah, uh, there's there's a, a really good series of books that are loosely connected. They're all kind of standalone uh, by Connie Willis about historians in the future who have been given time travel from people farther in the future mm -hmm. um, and use it to study the past. Interesting. Uh, so there, there, each novel that she has written is like about a group of historians visiting a certain time period. Um, but then your knowledge of history is better, but still only as good as your, like our knowledge of the present is. Yeah, which is still terribly inaccurate. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's all about your perspective and your point of view. It's it's filtered through your eyes. And your Absolutely, brain. yeah. And and there is a lot more that goes on in the novels than just like I'm recording the things I see, right. because it's a novel, so things go wrong and and chaos ensues. And they don't really fully understand how it works because they didn't invent it. Oh, yeah. So they're just using it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it often doesn't work quite right. And so they're trying to study it and understand it to understand how to make it better. Because, like, if you send someone to a certain point in time, there's often what they call slippage, which means you either arrive in a slightly different time or slightly different place mm. than what you intended. Hmm. Um, and they're pretty sure that exists to preserve the timeline. So that sending you back to World War II, if you go, if you're going back with the intent of killing Hitler, mm -hmm. um, it won't let you. Like the machine won't let you because it's preserving the timeline. Okay. Um, but you, but there are insignificant things that you can go back and interact, interact with or change. Um, but 
if you're if you're doing something that will have a larger impact, your amount of slippage increases greatly. So the machine knows your intent. Apparently. For your trip. Apparently. Interesting. And and the the novels deal a lot with sort of this like idea idea of like time as like a self correcting thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's like you you watch a time travel movie and with all the paradoxes involved. Yeah. There's, there's always the that question of are you will if you change something does it actually change the future is it a new timeline mm-hmm. or does does some greater force prevent you and yeah is fate inevitable and you can't write a time travel novel without dealing with these in some way right. uh, but i think it's uh the i think these novels do a really good job of sort of dealing with that and and dealing with it in a very human way which is to go we're not really sure what's going on but we're gonna keep trying right. We're gonna keep messing with this until uh, we can't anymore. And that's a good mechanism to make that the mechanism of having someone from the far future give time travel mm-hmm. to someone in the future, so that the users aren't really sure. About yeah, it. they didn't invent it. Um, I like time travel movies. Oh, I love time travel. That's probably my favorite genre of, of sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you watch the movie called Predestination? I have not, but I have read the short story slash novella that it was based on. What's the name of that? It's either By His Bootstraps or All You Zombies. It's All You Zombies. Okay, because there's two Heinlein sci-fi time travel stories that are very similar. Oh, really? And one of them's All You Zombies and one of them is By His Bootstraps. So you, you know the story? Yes. Uh, I, I haven't read the, the short story, but boy, is that movie. Yeah, I went in completely blind. I knew it was time travel, related, yeah. which is why I, I wanted to watch it. But so you know, you you spend the the movie looking for like where's what's the time travel gimmick? Yes, you know, like, wh- like what's the scenario? How's it working? Yeah, waiting for the moment when you figure out the twist, uh-huh. uh, and then it just dumps twist after twist <laughs> after twist. You're like, okay, surely now I understand what's going on, and you do that like five times by the time you get to the end. Yeah, is the line "all you zombies" in there? Do they, do they use that phrase? Because yeah. it's such a killer line. Yeah. Um, it's like, I know where I come from, but I'll use zombies. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one of the only movies I, I watched. I think like I rented it on iTunes or yeah. something, and I watched it. It was under two hours, Yeah. and then I immediately watched it again. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't wait. Like The credits rolled. And then you just turned it on. Like, I grabbed a snack and started over. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. That's pretty great. What's the other really good time travel one that came out uh, recently? Uh, the the action movie with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt had a really stupid name. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I call it Watch Tom Cruise Die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, you watch Tom Cruise Die a lot. Yeah. Watch Tom Cruise Die and Emily Blunt be the most badass yeah. actor ever. Yeah, that was a really good movie too. Uh, I read the novel it was based on. Not as good. I was disappointed. Good. No, you don't. Um, it was the. I mean, I think part of it is the difficulty of the novel format versus the the film format. Like, I think that's it. There's a, there's you can show a lot of things on film that you can that take a long time to explain in a repeating right. time loop sort of situation right. in a novel. Because that's the first third of the novel is him figuring out what's going on and like going through like two or three loops, right? Um, and then it basically skips to like 150 loops in, mm-hmm. 
and then there's like three or four more loops after that, and that's the, that's the the whole novel. Yeah, in a movie, it's really easy to spend two or three minutes doing a montage, mm-hmm. and, and 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 showing those repetitions very easily, and showing the growth and change and things. That's much harder to you can't do like a two or three minute montage that sums up a couple hundred repetitions. Yeah. In a novel, it's yeah. Writing just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite time travel movie, but it's the one that I feel like time travel movie nerds always have to call out is uh, Primer. Yeah. Which I think we've talked about before. We have. We, we talked about Upstream Color, I think. Yeah. Which is uh, better. Yes. Yeah. Upstream Color is a better movie. Yeah. But Primer, Primer is uh, the most difficult to follow and confusing yes. time travel movie, probably. And probably. I feel, like I feel like it's something that people brag about. They're like, oh, yeah, I watched Primer and, and, and I understood it. Yeah. Like it's, Which is dumb. Yeah. It's like a mark of. It's like, I don't care. I saw it in theaters. Really? Yeah. I didn't even know it came out in theaters. It did. Well, so it was it was filmed in the DFW area, which I think helped because that's where I was living at the time. Okay. Um, but we had an AMC 30 screen theater and it was there on one screen. I don't even know how I chose to see this movie because I didn't know about it. Really? And... What a, what a way to go into a movie like that. Like what I remember is... In the lobby of the movie theater, there was a New York Times like review, like blown up super huge on like a giant cardboard standy about like how amazing this movie it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I saw that before or after. I can't remember the timeline. But I, it was in high school. Uh, I went to see movies with my girlfriend like all the time. That was what we did. We'd go see a movie. We'd go grab dinner afterwards. Like that was our standard date. Nice. Uh, so I saw the movies. And we saw a primer or primer. I don't know how you say it. I don't care. I think it's supposed to be primer. Yeah. But I feel like a jerk when I say primer instead of primer. Well, you sound like a jerk when you say primer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just, like, we bought tickets and watched it. Yeah. Uh, which was very. And must have just been overwhelmed with. Really good to experience. Yeah. yeah. Like, because the first time I watched it, I went in knowing a lot about it and hearing a lot about mm-hmm. it and expecting it to be confused yeah. and bewildered and whatnot. And I still loved watching it, but mm-hmm. it's like when I watched Predestination, I all I was told was, this is a really good movie, it involves time travel, go see it. Yeah. And you're just w- washed over with how confusing and... Absolutely. And yeah. So it's an amazing way to watch a movie. I wish I did that more. I'm really uh, bad at yeah. avoiding learning about that. I have, a, I have good news for you. Go watch Arrival. Already did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I, I, I'd seen all the trailers for Arrival. I, I'd seen nothing for I'd it. I read a little bit about it, and it, still, I loved it. It's a great film. I, blew me away. Yeah. But because that's the, way, the only way I decide how, like which things to, to go see. see. Like, yeah. I want to make sure it's going to be something I like, so I watch all the trailers, mm-hmm. and learn about it, and then I go see it. And I'm like, yeah, that was good. I knew it would be good. Yeah. But for movies like that, I wish someone would just be like, you've never heard of this? Doesn't matter. Go see, go see it. it. Trust me. I've said that to people having seen it. Yeah. Like, I've been like, go see this movie. Yeah. No go other words. Out. Just go go buy a ticket. Just go see it. Uh, are, are you okay with spoiling Arrival? Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about okay. it. Uh, I, I learned at during the credits of Arrival uh, that the story it was based on was by a sci-fi author I really like and did not know 
that it was his work. Nice. Uh, as when I was looking at the movie after I watched it, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, I might get a collection of this guy's work so I can read the story. It's in the library, and there's like a hundred holes on four copies. Yeah, it's a really good. Uh, like, like I've not read a lot of his stuff. Um, but I've read uh, a couple of his short stories. I actually um, voted for one of his short stories for best category it was in, in the Hugos a couple of years ago. Nice. Yeah, I think it was short story that year. He's had a couple nominees, uh, nominations. I, I really want to read uh, the short story it's based on. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of now. Um, uh, the whole story of you, or the history of you. Something like that. The story of you. Yeah. Because I, I, I guess the, the short story gets more detailed about like the, the science of what's going I'd on. I believe that, yeah. The movie kind of glosses over yeah. the like, actual linguistic and mm-hmm. time science. Of, <laughs> linguistic and time science of, of what's going on in, yeah. it, in it. But, and I, like, I would love to delve deeper into that. Yeah. I left the movie really like struggling over how this works. Like, really? Like, what's happening and how is this working? So the so the aliens show up. Yeah. And the linguist mm-hmm. uh, is tasked with communicating with them. Yep. So they use written English and they show written English to the aliens and the aliens show their written language back and they're learning each other's languages and they learn how to communicate. Yes. Uh, but the gist is the written language, so the aliens don't have spoken language. Right? Well, they do, but it's independent of their written language. Right. So their written language is not, yeah, did not derive from their spoken language. Yeah. So it is not uh, time sequence. Mm-hmm. Like we speak in, the in same a certain order, order that we yeah. write, because when you write, you have to do it in order. So yeah. When you, or when you speak, you do it in order. So when you write, we write one word after the other. Mm-hmm. But the alien language is depicted as circles. Yeah. And you know the full thought of what you're going to write, and you write it. Together yeah. Instead of well, the analogy they used is is the idea is you are starting at both ends of the sentence the, and writing them towards the center with both hands. With both hands. Yeah. Um, but then the jump the movie makes is because so like uh, there's a theory that I'm forgetting the name of. Yeah. Uh, where the language you speak has a really strong influence on your cognitive ability. Absolutely. Your and ability. I well, but like your your brain right. how you speak and the language you know affects how you think right like you're 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 the way you think is somehow bound and limited by your language by what the language you're mm-hmm. capable of uh so which i 100 percent agree with like yeah, that is that's a real thing. that is true <laughs> but then the movie says because this written language that the aliens write isn't bound by time mm-hmm. that their cognition becomes unbound by time and that they or perceive the future and the past like they don't live in a time that has a beginning and an end and mm-hmm. moving forward in one direction on the timeline yeah they kind of are a outside of time kind of when i so they're uh the, I, the equivalent really the equivalent equivalency i put it towards a i've read a number of fictional works where language learning a new language changes somebody's like perception of reality uh-huh. it's a not uncommon trope yeah. Uh, which is interesting because like Stranger in a Strange Land used that um, with the language of Martian. But uh, the, the, the sort of equivalent 
thing that I tie it to most closely is something like, uh, have you read or seen the movie Watchmen? I saw it. Okay. Well, the movie's not very good because it's directed by Zack Snyder. (laughs) But the comic book is still pretty good. Um, But Dr. Manhattan, who's the blue guy, the blue penis guy in in uh, Watchmen uh, perce- perceives all events that happen to him simultaneously. Mm-hmm. He knows everything in all moments. That he is, he is omniscient in that sort of sense. Right. Wait, just for him or for the whole world? For him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he he knows what is happening to him, and what is going to happen, and what has already happened to him, and he has perfect recall of all of it. Okay. So it is a you know one could say a memory of the future, right? Um, and why he has that is a little bit hand waved. Nobody really understands, uh, but it's it's the same idea. Uh, now, Doctor Manhattan is locked in by that, which is to say that he doesn't have free will. He can't change anything. And is basically like a myopic dick because of it. <laughs> right. Yes. <it> is. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this is, this is what's going to happen. I know. I know you're going to break up with me in three months. Well, I am now. You just told me that. Like that's. <laughs> it's like I knew you would say that. And it's like stop saying you knew you were going to say that, but I did. Yeah. Oh, should I hide it? Uh, whereas this, again, the leap of like a language being able to make you see all of time is a leap. That is that is the that's suspension of belief, disbelief. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, it's taking a known thing, which is that having a different language makes your brain work differently. Right. Like we know that, and the question is, okay, how different can we make it? Right. Like my question is, is it possible for a brain to work so differently that it becomes unbound by time? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Absolutely. The answer is yes, and it tells an amazing story. Mm-hmm. I, and I really liked how the movie introduced it slowly as she slowly gained knowledge of the language. Mm-hmm. Like it became more and more uh, fluent. Yeah. She became more and more fluent in it, and her experiences started happening more and more. And then mm-hmm. twist oh, the memories of my daughter are not actually memories, they're things she's perceiving. Yeah. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> Oops. Go watch Arrival. Go watch Arrival. Should have said that before. We said go watch Arrival. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, like now, I like I really want an answer to that question. Like, is it possible for a brain to experience time that way? I would say not without external stimulation. We'd have to have a language come in and show it to us, right? Because all human language is bound by time in certain ways. Um, although this is an interesting thing. Uh, so I've I've worked with some international students in my my time being me. Um, Your life. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> and uh, so there's interesting things like uh, Chinese, and I don't know if I'm speaking of Mandarin or Cantonese, and I apologize for the uh, lack of understanding. One of the Chinese. One languages. of the many Chinese languages. Um, but a friend of mine who who was Chinese and from China and spoke Chinese very fluently mm-hmm. um, was talking to me about the idea that Chinese doesn't really have tenses. Yeah, so it doesn't have present tense, past tense, future, imperative. There's a thousand tenses. There's too many in English. Yeah. Um, you know, I would have done that 
That's what it's. But uh, yeah. yeah, I would have had to have gone to the store on Tuesday. Every every there's as many tenses as there are sentences. Yeah, and and I was asking about this. Like, well, you know, we just use time modifiers. So I go to the store today. I go to the store tomorrow. I go to the store now. I go to the store yesterday. Hmm. Um. And it's and once I noticed that I see that in and I saw it in his language like when he was speaking English he often phrased things in the present tense with a time modifier. Interesting. Yeah. So he wouldn't he wouldn't say like I went to the store. I I think he did sometimes, but but if he was, I mean, difficult to speak another language. Right. Uh, if he was you know missing a beat or uh, you know tired or just not trying very hard. Uh, yeah, he would say, like, I go to the store, or we go, or we, like, and using just the present tenses. Because his brain doesn't think about tenses in the way that a tense for you and I is very, very natural. And right. that I, you know, say, if I say, I go to the store, or I went to the store tomorrow, you go, that doesn't, yeah, that, that, that doesn't would, work. That, that would immediately red flag. And yeah. Like, that weird. In the same way that we know, and I don't remember the order for this, but we know the order of adjectives. Yeah, I saw this recently yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you can have like a string of a dozen adjectives before a noun, and you automatically know exactly which order they go in. And if it's anything but that order, it sounds weird. It sounds super weird. Yeah. The big ugly dog or the ugly big dog. Yeah, ugly big dog is wrong. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, but but so that's that is language wiring your brain to put things in certain orders. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, similarly, Korean puts the, um, the verb at the end of a sentence, hmm. um, and, and, and the important things at the end of a sentence. And I'm, I'm butchering the, the specifics of this, obviously, because I do not know Korean either. <laughs> <laughs> do you know other languages at all? Uh, I used to know a little bit of Spanish. Yeah. Is that what you studied in school? Yeah. Or? Studied Spanish in school. Um, I have a I have a passable Spanish accent. I'm told, like I'm not accent. But my pronunciation is pretty strong. Okay. I felt really good in that. But Spanish, uh, like other Romantic languages, not all of them, but Spanish, like many of the other Romantic languages, pronounces everything consistently, which is so nice. Mm-hmm. Because if you read a sentence, you know exactly how it's pronounced, right. because the rules are consistent, <laughs> unlike English. So if I read a word, I say all the vowels. I know what accents to put on where. I'm perfect. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, English is very bad for pronouncing. Yeah. Um, I took a year of Spanish uh, in high school, and like, I can I can understand the tiniest amount of Spanish just through the smallest exposure mm-hmm. in day to day life. And I watch Jane the Virgin a lot, and Abuela always speaks in Spanish. I bet that helps. Yeah, uh, it's it's all right. Like I recognize, like there's subtitles for everything, and so, but like I recognize, like oh, I do know that word, or I do understand what she's saying there. Yeah, uh, I couldn't like string together a sentence in Spanish. You know what I mean? But if someone is speaking it to me, I could probably pick out a couple things. Yeah, um, and I took French uh, for three years in okay. high school as well, and uh, I can understand that a bit better. Like. I can understand most of what someone says to me in French, mm-hmm. but for the life of me, I could not write a word of it or yeah. speak any of it anymore. And speaking of pronouncing, uh, no non-French person has ever pronounced anything in French correctly. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> just, the, just the very virtue of you not being French means... You will get it wrong. No matter how you say it, you're not pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, that sounds right. And accepting that is the first part of yeah. speaking French is good. 
Uh, Amy speaks Spanish with a French accent. What? Does that sound like? <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to describe it, um, and I've not really heard her speak it. But uh, she took French for a number of years. Uh, she went to France uh-huh. uh, for six weeks, I think, um, a, a period of time. She's uh, met a really good friend there, actually. But she was taking Spanish as part of her grad curriculum, um, and her teacher would always say, "Her like you're pronouncing things like they're French." That's so funny. <laughs> um, I uh, so like I, when I studied French in high school, and then a couple years ago when I went to Montreal for a vacation, mm-hmm. it took me like a day, and then I was just totally fine, like being yeah, Montreal clicked back and, in and experiencing and speaking and yeah, hearing French all around me. Yeah, in the Quebecois French. Quebec-y. Which you also cannot pronounce. No, of course not. Quebecois. <laughs> I I really I despise the French language. Yeah. Um, it sounds beautiful, uh, but all the rules of it are very bad. You know what I hate about French? Numbers. Yeah, they're not. The, yeah, it's just it's all dumb. Like <laughs> sixty eleven. The language is very. It's pretty. It was designed it to be sounds, pretty first. It sounds very beautiful and. Everything about the way it works is bad and stupid. <laughs> um, but hey, the people who made the language had different values. Yep. So that's the language they made. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I hate it. Like I hated learning French all hmm. the years I took it. Spanish was fun. I I would uh, not practice, but I would I would try and learn Spanish mm-hmm. uh, by watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer with Spanish dubs. <laughs> nice. Because I had all the DVDs. I still do. Uh, and they all had like multilingual tracks, so you yeah. could do Spanish, French, Portuguese, maybe German. So you would listen to it in Spanish. Yeah. And because you knew the script so well already, you'd... well, so I would put the subtitles on as well in Spanish, so I could I could read and hear what they were saying simultaneously. Yeah. But I knew I didn't know the exact words, but I knew enough that I could use the context. And it was yeah. it was like Spanish language immersion, hmm. uh, kind of. Uh... It's not actually like going into Spain and learning Spanish, but. Uh, you know what I did? Because uh, I, I just recently finished watching Battlestar. Yeah. Um, and a couple of times, uh, never out loud with my voice, but a couple times I found myself like thinking frack instead of fuck. Oh, I, I did that. I did that before I watched Battlestar Galactica. Really? Yeah. But just like just binging it and being exposed to yeah. it so much, like I, you know, stubbed my toe or something and just in my brain was like, oh, frack. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, that's not a real word. You know where I picked up Frack from? Veronica Mars. Do they do Frack and Veronica mm-hmm. Mars too? Well, just mostly Veronica. Because oh. um, she was a fan of Battlestar. <laughs> and and really, Rob Thomas, the creator, was a fan. So Is, is Frack a thing from the original Battlestar? Series? Yes. Nice. Okay. It's a, I mean, it serves the same purpose. Yeah, it's a good word. Words are just random sounds. Yeah. <laughs> As we've been discussing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I... Arrival really killed me, though. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. You know what made me um, sad but laugh also at the end of Arrival? What? As we were sitting in the theater, wait, watching the credits, because we always stick around to the end of the credits. Mm-hmm. As, uh, you know, hey, like, hey, these people work really hard, and I respect that, yeah. but also because it's time to decompress and, you right. know, take in what you just experienced. I hate, I hate the feeling of, like, walking out of a theater immediately, and then you're like, oh, the real world! <laughs> <laughs> too jarring yeah, yeah stick through the credits it's great um but while we were there there was a couple behind us 
And I'm going to assume they were married uh, because they were older, and that's ageist of me. Yeah. Um, and so the husband was like explaining the movie to his wife afterwards um, and doing it like in ways that he didn't fully understand what was going on. And they were kind of like kind of talking about it, but he was like trying to explain what was going on like he knew. And I was just sitting there and I'm going like, I, I don't think it was difficult to understand. <laughs> you should have uh, loudly and obnoxiously asked uh, Amy to explain it to you. <laughs> Can you explain this movie to me, Amy? I just, Amy, I just didn't get it. Yeah. What and then we walked out of the theater, and there were people out in front of the movie theater, like also talking about like trying to figure out what it was that. Like, like was it was she remembering that? Like, yeah. what did she mean when she said, "I understand why my husband left me"? Yeah. And it's like, well, because that's literally what we just saw happen. Did you watch the movie? <laughs> like that's the. Some. I mean, so uh, I I've learned that. Some people, when they watch movies, they don't really pay attention. Yeah. Like when I go, especially when I go see a movie in a theater, like yeah. I am focused. Yeah. And I am. I'm more focused then than I am at any other time watching a movie. Like if I'm at home, I got a phone in hand and I'm, you know, right. checking Twitter or whatever. But in a movie theater, like I am paying attention. Yeah. I'm absorbing it. Like I'm really focused on what's happening and I really try to pay attention. But some people go to the movies just to kind of sit and chill out and have something on the screen like i guess not, like they're not trying to figure it out as they watch it like like i do when i see it well then go watch the latest disney movie like those are fine <laughs> go watch beauty and the beast Did you see the trailer for the new beauty and the beast i think so i don't remember it well it looked exactly like beauty and the beast yeah which is weird <laughs> it's weird watching a live action version of that yeah. just because it was like the same that's weird I'll yeah like it's like we're making this thing you loved, but live, now it's live action. I really like Beauty and the Beast. I'm not yeah, it's a great of, film. I'm not much of a Disney movie person. Yeah, I think Beauty and the Beast is really good. Yeah, it was the last uh, animated film nominated for a Best Picture. Really? Kind of. Has Pixar gotten in there? Uh, only after they expanded the slate to ten nominees. Really? Yeah. That's and those were computer animated, not hand drawn. That seems wrong. I feel like some of the Pixar movies should have been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, but they don't because they were animated, and we have a category for that called Best Animated Picture. But isn't there a category for, like, Best... Foreign Film, Best Documentary. And can't those be Best Picture, too? Or are they not eligible? Theoretically. Okay. okay. They won't be because we have a category for that. I don't want to get into how dumb the Oscars are. (laughs) Oscar season coming up. Mm. People are saying that uh, Arrival might be up for an Oscar. It better be. I mean, it's really good. It was really good. Um, the other thing I noticed about uh, my theater experience. Yeah. There was straight up 30 minutes of trailers. Yeah. I had the same. It felt so... Did you, did you go to Draft House or did you see it in another theater? I went to Regal. That's where we saw it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there were 30 minutes of, the, of previews. Which is... At least the screen I was in. Yeah. Like even even the screen, like the edges of the screen, like there was warping and the projector yeah. like wasn't that bright. Ours looked fine. I was like, oh, this is not a great theater. <laughs> Sorry, Regal. I, that's where we go see most things. We don't do Draft House very often. Yeah. Uh, like Draft House is cool, but I don't need to pay that much money to go see a movie. Yeah. I just wish the screen wasn't wavy on the top. And yeah, that's valid. The projector had actual brightness. I was like, I could tell. Like I was like, it's a fairly 
a dark movie. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be this dark. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man. Uh, the, so the, the thing that I've been thinking about, with the assumption that language can affect your brain mm-hmm. and your perception of time that way, doesn't that require the universe to be uh, deterministic? Because you're perceiving things that will inevitably happen. So I, I don't think the movie says that. Okay. And I, and I can see why, like, in a traditional sense, like, if you can see the future, then that's going to happen, so you can't change it. Or not, not that, like, you yeah. can't change it, just that what would you per- what are you perceiving other than your understanding of mm-hmm. what has to be coming? Yeah. Um, and I, I've read about the, the short story, and I think it gets more into this as well. Um, I don't know. But the idea is that the free will comes in accepting what's going to happen rather than fighting against it. So does that mean you don't have to accept what's mm-hmm. going to happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, like you imagine like the final scene or close to the end when she's all snuggly with Jeremy Renner and like, yeah, we're going to do this. Because she's choosing in that moment that she wants to go through with it, even knowing how it's going to she's end. Exactly the things that she's seen already. Yeah. yeah. But she could not have, and then a different future was maybe. But but I think I I don't think the I think the idea is that is you choose to understand that this is what's going to happen, and you choose it regardless. Right. Right. And now we didn't see any pushback of like any you know what if it doesn't happen. But things still happen, so... Yeah. The the weird thing for me was when the uh, Chinese general mm-hmm. was speaking to her at the party. Yeah. He's like, I feel compelled to... like. He's like, you called me on my personal number, which I'm feeling compelled to show you right now. Yeah. Like, something is... Well, I think, so reading, behind, reading between the scenes there, I think, you know, there's the publicity, there's the book that comes. Mm-hmm. And I think in that book, she explains, like, what her perception of the universe is now. Right. from the understanding of this language and the and like teaches other people that and can share that understanding and like perception a, like a superpower it like, absolutely you, is learning this language and you develop this incredible ability yes and i think he knew that she had this perception and so i think when they met he realized that this is that this is how she got my number yeah. Or maybe he learned the language too, and also a possibility. Yeah, yeah, like also possible. Like, but that sort of thing of like, and this is what you said to me, and you have to know it because I'm telling it to you now. Right. Yeah. Oh, those, those kinds of causality things really mess with my brain. Yeah, I think they're fun. Yeah, I mean they are fun. Yeah, I enjoy when my brain is being messed with. Uh, would you do it? Would you? Would you desire that kind of perception? <coughs> yeah. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I would. I haven't thought about it yet. Okay. But that's a. It's not because if it's via learning a language, mm-hmm. it's not something that you could, like, turn off. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it comes it, as you become more fluent in language. It comes gradually. Mm-hmm. And you get better at it. You get better at it. I think if you never become fluent, you can forget a language. I've forgotten lots of Spanish. You could, yeah, but it takes time. Yeah. But I don't know if I would. That's a lot of... You didn't hesitate when you said No. That. Why not? I've been thinking about these things. Like, So this the same sort of thing happens in uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's portrayed a little bit differently, but the main character of that, whose name is like Michael Smith, 
um, was born on Mars um, and raised by Martians. Uh, and Mar- we don't care if it's literally Mars or not, but the idea is the same. Um, and comes back to Earth uh, as an adult and perceives everything very differently because of his language. And and yeah. the last third or so of the book, and, and also has seemingly magic powers. Um, of being able to like make things disappear, and I mean the there's I don't remember all the details on it. Like the one I remember the most was he was he eventually like once all the fury died down, he got a job as a stage magician. Um, because he could do literal magic. Sure. Um, but nobody really liked his stuff because it wasn't about the trick; it was about the patter, and his patter was terrible. Yeah. Like his way of doing, he could he could like make things literally disappear in front of you, and you go, eh, okay, right. If it's not presented right, it's, yeah, it can be even amazing things. Can be yeah, and he eventually then starts teaching other people Martian, um, and it becomes a a one could argue religion, um, to like unlock this different perceptive powers and things like that. And I read that book back in high school, hmm. and so I've been thinking about this for a long time. And you would do the same. You would accept. Those yeah, kinds of, I mean that that's I would. I would much sooner do that, have like cool powers to make things disappear, manipulate yeah. Yeah. physical world. But knowing, uh... but it also it also like surpassed death. Like you wouldn't die because of the because of the language. Like you would, you, your body would die, but your spirit would live on. Really, in in a very literal sense, hmm. um, like in in the Martian, in Mar on Mars, um, memories were physical, and and still existed. Um, and could be read by senior Martians, like learned Martians. Um, and what would happen is if you had a large city, it would become overwhelming and people would abandon it and move somewhere else. And so the, the landscape was full of these cities that only elder Martians ever went to to commune with all of the former people that were still there and the memories that existed in those places. And it wasn't the same as the person, but it was who they were in those moments. And it's, I'm not sure I'm describing it well. I read it 10 years ago, but like, that was the first time I was exposed to like language can change your brain. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a fascinating idea that I never really thought of before. Cause I never, yeah. when I learned uh, French or Spanish, I never learned it enough. Mm-hmm. That you were I dreaming have, in Spanish right. or yeah. Um, yeah. I never had that effect, but um, I don't, that's okay. I don't, I don't think I want that knowledge. Yeah. I'm happy to. Well, I mean, I guess not now because I think the future is going to be nuclear war. But I'm happy to wait for the future to happen. Yeah. To know what it will be. I guess. That's okay. Do you think the universe is deterministic? I don't know. Okay. I don't. Such a reasonable answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I mean, on certain scales, yes. Yeah. Like, you know, if I drop my phone, is the screen going to crack? Probably. Sure. Um, but the universe is too big to know that for sure. And on the, on the other side is your, your quantum entanglements and things like that, which we are trying to determine and understand. 
but there's the uncertainty principles. There are, you know, Schrodinger's box. Like there's a lot of, a lot of complexity there that I don't think excludes determinism. Right. But also doesn't prove it. Right. I, so I think it is. Okay. And I like, I've thought about this a lot ever since I started learning like chemistry and physics in high school. Yeah. Cause so coming from a religious background where God created the universe and mm-hmm. religion explains the physical properties of the universe yeah. and then learning like, Oh wait, chemistry and physics can explain how the world works. Mm-hmm. Like is a huge worldview shift. Absolutely. And then learning, like just learning like, you know, basic high school chemistry and physics and then like learning more of it as I went into college and stuff, you, you know, I, kind of accepted this idea that oh there's rules mm-hmm. there's equations and you can figure out exactly what's going to happen next mm-hmm. based on this stuff and like you said there's still all kinds of complexity on the quantum scale and on the massive scale but it seems like in the history of science it has just been removing the shrouds from that complexity and you get a little bit further each time and you get rules for mm-hmm. the stuff that seems like it's too complex and too chaotic yeah so I feel like there have there are rules that govern everything, and then that means that the universe is deterministic, and then free will doesn't exist, and then uh, yay. Yeah. Well, so I think the the <laughs> counter to that is, um, is we think we know really well how a lot of things work, uh-huh. but we only have our own language and to express and think about those things in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the example that best comes to mind is the switch from Newtonian physics to Einsteinian physics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are, you, are you familiar with the accelerated frame of reference or Einstein's elevator? Uh, not those terms. Cool. But I'm familiar with the difference between the two kinds of physics. Okay. But explain Einstein's elevator. So, so the Einstein elevator is, was a thought experiment, I think, created by Einstein. Uh, the idea being that if you were in an accelerated frame of reference, that is to say an elevator that was accelerating at a rate of 9.8 meters per second per second, mm-hmm. uh, and you have no external stimulus, you would be pulled towards the ground of that elevator, to the bottom of that, if it was moving up, at a rate of 9.8 meters per second per second. Mm-hmm. And if you had a ball and you threw it up, it would go up and down following the same accelerated reference, independent of gravity. Right. Um, but it would work identically to gravity. Right. And it's just acceleration. And, and Einstein went, oh, acceleration and gravity are the same thing. Um, which up until that point, we didn't think that was the case. Like the, the Newtonian physics were like, no, gravity's this thing. Motion is this thing. Right. And there was a, you know, it's a coordinate grid behind the universe that everything was measured against. Right. And so movement was moving from point A to point B in that coordinate grid. And gravity was something that made you move that distance. Right. It's an external force. Yeah. And Einstein was like, no, it's just... Gravity's just a function of... Of the shape of the universe. Yeah, yeah. 
um, which is this is all vastly oversimplified. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be fine. (laughs) Nothing could possibly go wrong. And yeah. And we've had these sort of tectonic shifts in our understanding. And we we present that as like, oh, we understand it better now. Mm -hmm. But the the other side of that is we were we we understood it to the point that we could do everything we could do in life. Like my understanding of Einsteinian, like Einsteinian physics doesn't benefit my life in many ways. Like computers are aside because there's a lot of things going on there at the molecular level. But for, you know, riding a bike, eating a sandwich, it doesn't matter if Einsteinian physics is right or Newtonian physics is right. Mm -hmm. One doesn't matter more than the other for my day-to-day life. Uh And there could be a third way of explaining those things that is equally valid, more valid, and more provable as technology gets better and things like that, but that still won't change my day-to-day experience and how I, you know, live. Because the things that are happening are the same no matter... The outcome is the same no regardless of, yeah. Using to measure them yeah, we're choosing different ways to describe them. So there's, so there's a conflict between the idea of did... Einsteinian physics uh, improve upon and replace Newtonian physics by like going further and deeper in understanding the reality of the world better and maybe there's another shift that we'll find in our future that does that again we uncover more and learn more and we get a better understanding Mm -hmm. or is it just a different one like are we just arbitrarily switching between... This one was newer, so we say it's better. Right. Because, yeah, because it's different. Or is it just a different thing? Are we just yeah. replacing them with new ways... I would say it does better? certain things that we have ascribed as better more. So it, it is better predictive, let's say. It is better at predicting planetary motion mm-hmm. than Newtonian physics. It is better at predicting quantum level things than Newtonian physics. And so and that's and that's the standard that science in broad terms has described. Is it better at predicting what will happen? Does it predict what does what it predict will happen more closely match the outcome? Right. Which is a strictly linear perception. Right. Because <laughs> you can't predict something before it happens. Um except or you can't predict something after it happens. Um, then you get stuff like the double slit experiment where the actual the act of observing it changes the outcome. Right. And so if we well, we predicted this would happen, but we didn't look at it, so we don't know what happened. Yeah, that that's where physics starts to become difficult to understand for me. Absolutely. But but it's those those uncertainties and those spaces that I go, maybe we have something as wrong as Newton had gravity. Yeah. And we don't know what it is. And I think we do. And I think, I think if you talk to most like reasonable and like actual physicists, mm-hmm. that's they probably believe that too. Like this is just the tool we're using now, mm-hmm. and like real reality could be entirely different. But this works for now, and we're still trying mm-hmm. to uncover more. But I would also say the the other side of that is we if we can't explain it without language Mm -hmm. if we can't we'd have to change our language to be able to explain new phenomenon and if we don't have the words for them 
we can't interact with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole. And that, but that's that's the idea of this. Okay, you have to have a certain type of language to be able to understand these phenomena, right. which is how you get to the idea that changing your language could allow you to perceive time differently. Right. Yeah, that, I really, I kind of hate that. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I hate that. I hate that my brain can be incapable of something because I arbitrarily know English. Yeah. Right. Or or, Eng- <laughs> or English doesn't contain something mm-hmm. that I'm, and therefore I'm missing out on perceiving something about the world. Yeah. Like you're familiar with the whole people didn't see blue until there was a word for blue. Yes. Idea, yeah. Which is very reductive, but like. I'm they, looking at the sky outside your window and going, "Is it blue?" Yeah. Like. Things, is it? Things weren't until you're a little white right. Is it ever blue? (laughs) Things like the word blue didn't come into use until much later than other. Yes. The word for other colors did. Good old wine dark sea. Right. And so people didn't think things could be blue. Like blue wasn't a thing. Yeah. It wasn't a concept. And then somehow the word blue came into Mm -hmm. languages and now people can can describe things. Mm -hmm. And that. Make, like that makes me so mad. That feels so <laughs> stupid and wrong. Like if if a if a thing is blue, it's blue. Like you, like a a word existing in a vocabulary of a language doesn't make the photons hitting my retina different. But you perceive them differently. Your brain is not a perfect receptor of stimulus. Yeah, and that's really scary. <laughs> Right? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you know, a similar like, example. What if, what yeah. if there's a unicorn standing on my counter, but like my <laughs> language doesn't allow me to see it? Yeah. Well, we have examples of things like this. Um, so there's actually two examples that come to mind. Um, there is uh, a relatively well-known book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. <laughs> a uh, it's a great title. title uh, based on an actual thing that happened. Um, but the book itself is is a cataloging of... Um, these stories of weird brain disorders. I'm going to say disorder. I don't know if it's the right term, but that's the one I'm using right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, Internet. Well, the people whose brains were not working in ways that we would consider normal. Sure. Um, and the, the titular example was the, the man who forgot, who, who mistook his wife for a hat. Um, and his brain had had the inability to combine shapes into their component part and into the, the, the composite piece. Mm-hmm. So he could see, let's say you showed him an Argyle sock. He could see the triangles. He could see the lines. He could see the pieces, but his brain couldn't put them together as sock. a sock. Huh. Um, and the, the, the anecdote was that like his wife said, okay, it's time to go. And like, he knows these things exist, but he can't see them literally um and as he was at the doctor's office I was like okay it's time to go and so he grabbed his wife's head and tried to pick it up like his hat <laughs> That's funny. uh yeah it is it is funny but it's also like oh like how he perceives the world affects his interaction and we have these sort of atypical examples that show us mm-hmm. like oh yeah that's how we work the other example uh, that I like that came out of uh, Amy's work uh, and her master's thesis um, 
was in, I'm going to get the, I'm going to say the past. I want to say the 19th century, but it could be earlier. Oh, I know it was before that as well. Um, we didn't have the word lesbian. Okay. That word did not exist for a large portion of English's past. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was related to the idea, and, the, and the, that the lack of a word was related to the idea that women did not feel desire. Like, the idea of a woman feeling desire was not a part of our language and culture. Right. And so a woman having desire for another woman was literally impossible. Right, because the only way desire works was a man can desire a woman. Yes. That's the only direction it goes. And so, like, we have histories of women who we would say now desired other women and lived with women. And um, Charlotte Cushman was a famous uh, Shakespearean actress in the U.S. and England mm-hmm. who, if she lived today, I would call her a lesbian because she had multiple women that she lived with and we suspect was sexual with and you know described these things and, and loved and desired these women mm-hmm. um, that she had even called like her wives and some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but just calling her a lesbian does not accurately describe the world and life that she lived in because she couldn't be a lesbian because that word didn't exist. Okay. So what was she? There's whole books written on that. <laughs> There's, I mean, but that, but that's the sort of thing is, um, and because nobody looked askance at her living with another woman and being with another woman because there was no desire there. There couldn't be because we didn't have the words for it. We didn't have the language for it. Hmm. Well, I mean, She's also famous for playing men, which is a whole other category of weird things going on here. But, but it, it's not like were people, just, were people just in the dark that she was having sex with other women? Or... Like, wasn't that... It's, wasn't no, it's, that it's the language couldn't perceive it, couldn't describe it. That's so weird. Yeah. I hate brains. I hate our brains. They're <laughs> so bad at what they do. Yeah. Like, they're such stupid animals. <laughs> no, I'm not going to disagree with you there. But it's weird, but so, but you know, that's so like I think about these things all the time, and okay, so yeah, language affects how I perceive the world, and in ways that I can't understand because I don't have the words for them. Yeah. So despite all that, yeah, like that, I I dislike thinking about all these things that really <laughs> bother me and challenge me. Yeah. Uh, but I still have a belief that despite what we're perceiving, mm-hmm. there is an actual physical world mm-hmm. that exists that is. Uh, independent of what of your perception is, of what anyone is perceiving mm-hmm. and that it follows rules yeah because what else are you going to think <laughs> that we live in the matrix <laughs> and that it's all a simulation or that it's or that the world i see is completely a construct of my individual consciousness like i don't believe that welcome to postmodernism <laughs> like, like i very much reject that like the world is a real physical thing that follows rules Mm -hmm. and my perception of it is one thing but what it actually is is something to be 
is something that really exists and the discovery of it is something worth trying to get. You know what I mean? But how do you know how do you know if we've discovered it? You don't. And I, and I, and I, and I can say that yeah. I, and I can accept that like that the true discovery of it may not be possible, mm-hmm. but the work of doing it is worthwhile and valuable. Yeah. And that free will doesn't exist because it is deterministic. <laughs> You seem oddly calm about that, of all things. I, but, I mean, there's no way around it. <laughs> it has to be, so I guess i got to be cool with it. So, like, I can, I, I, I think free will is a bad, it's like asking the wrong question. Okay. Like, so it's the wrong way of thinking about yeah. it. Like, if I think the universe is deterministic, then uh, the molecules that make up my brain and all mm-hmm. the neurons that are in my brain and all those atoms, they're interacting with each yeah. other in ways that follow predictable and understandable patterns, mm-hmm. and they're going to happen no matter what, because yeah. things are in one state, and then the conditions make an action happen, and then things are in a new state, and conditions mm-hmm. make an action happen, and there's no way around it. Yeah. So my brain is doing and thinking and feeling things that will happen no matter what, mm-hmm. but it's at a scale that I'm not capable of understanding yeah. and responding to. So it still feels like I have free will. That's good enough. And so that's fine. <laughs> like I, I kind of feel like the, there's no valuable difference between having free will and feeling like you're having free will. Hmm. So the actual lack of it it's fine. doesn't matter. Because <laughs> you think you do, and that's good enough. Because that's, uh, that's, that's language. Yeah. Like, if you, determinism gets really weird because if you go all the way back, you say, like, Okay, the Big Bang happened, mm-hmm. and the conditions at like second zero point zero yeah. of the Big Bang were such that the everything u- else the universe resulted in me and you sitting across this table drinking Swiss Miss hot chocolate, talking into microphones, and recording a podcast. Yeah, I could use some more Swiss Miss though. And there is no other outcome. <laughs> yeah, that was possible from those mm-hmm. conditions. Well, we just have to time travel and find out if we're right. <laughs> Well, my trick for inventing time travel was picking a moment in time and saying, if I invent time travel, I'll just come back to this moment and tell myself. And so then I'll know I'll get there. You want to do right now? I mean, we can try. Yeah, this will be the moment. This will be the moment. Sure. So uh, we'll, I'll just knock on the door. Oh, my God! <laughs> yeah, I'll just knock on the door if I invent time travel in the future or if you invent time travel in the future. We'll come back to this moment. Uh, just for record-keeping stake, it is uh, 3.05 on November 20th, 2016. Uh, under the current timekeeping system that we use uh, here at Jesse's apartment. Nice. I'll just hang out, wait a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be some margin of error. Like my shoe might have come untied. Yeah, who knows? Um, uh, I also believe that if time travel were possible, when you, uh, it's only possible going back in time, and that when you go back in time, it's an entirely new timeline. So you don't, there is no affecting. The past. Yeah. You should read. I make a lot of book recommendations to you, I realize. You do. Uh, I've already recommended this to you. Which one? Version Control. You have recommended that to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a book about software design. Not really. Because that's what the it's title a, sounds like. It sounds like an academic it's, textbook. That's intentional. Okay. Um, um, my, uh, my reading list uh, has become focused on uh, avoiding uh, Trump fascist horrible apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, 
so I, I just finished uh, I just finished a book and I'm gonna go pick up from the library tomorrow uh, some Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't I don't know him. He was a uh, theologian who lived uh, in under Nazi Germany. Oh. and was a like significant member of the yeah. resistance. So I'm I like reading things about theology and I was like, well, it's if I'm gonna read something about theology, it better be Dietrich Bonhoeffer because <laughs> no one else can prepare me for what's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I saw an interesting um, comparison on Twitter uh, by Alexandra Aaron, who is a uh, science fiction author, but also like a cultural critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she makes a living like writing think pieces for Medium and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate the term think piece. That's fair. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I, I chuckle every time I hear it. Yeah, and uh, she is super prolific on Twitter. Like, I have to mute her occasionally because I'm just like, this is too much. Yeah. Uh, but I really respect her opinions, and I think uh, she has a lot of really interesting perspectives. But she was talking about, um, and I don't want to spend too much time talking Trump and election stuff because sure. I'll just get sad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, she was sort of talking about the idea that a lot of people who are who are freaking out and who are yelling and who are fighting and protesting and all this sort of stuff and in all sorts of different ways mm-hmm. right now are going to be called alarmists. And you'd be like, oh, this is, you know, you're just being an alarmist. You're just freaking out. It's not as really as bad as you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she compared it to 2000 or Y2K. Mm-hmm. Do you, remember, you remember Y2K. You remember that you were alive. I was pretty young, but yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Um, and there was a lot of worry about the switch over from year 99 to year 00 because there was lots of software uh, that only used two, gi- two digits to mark the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was deemed to be fine. And by the time that you know, that was going to become a problem, it would be replaced by something that uses better technology. And that didn't happen in a lot of cases. Now, my mother is a computer programmer, and she pointed out to me that they were thinking about that in the 70s and that there was actual, like, efforts constantly ongoing. Um, but as as the year 2000 became closer, a lot of effort had to be put into making sure that banking software, nuclear software, all these things that, like, kept the world from falling apart were up to date. Uh, and there was a lot of panic about that at the time. And we basically fixed it all. For the most part, yeah. For the most part, yeah. Um, the world didn't end on one one two thousand. There were like people very prepared for a real apocalypse. Yes, yes. And the the other side of that is like, oh, nothing happened. Okay, cool. Guess all those people who were who were super worried about lots of bad things happening uh, had nothing to worry about. They were just alarmists. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, y- no, y- no, because. We fixed it because we were drawing attention to it, because we were being aware of it, because we were fighting it. And so if nothing ends the world in the next four years, it will not be because there was nothing to worry about, Mm -hmm. but because these so-called alarmists were working really hard to fix it or were working Mm -hmm. really hard to fight it and stop it. But like the best possible outcome is, is you're going to still potentially be derided for overreacting when that overreaction is what helped make sure it didn't happen yeah like yeah like what are your outcome options your outcome options are so like people are going to freak out and protest and mm-hmm. and be alarmists yes and they and something horrible can happen and mm-hmm. oh guess they were right whereas nothing can happen and oh they were annoying for a little yeah. while yeah like i'm glad those people are doing that mm-hmm. it's 
Like, yeah. The best that can happen is they're annoying and mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. Yeah. I have called uh, my government a number of times in the last week. I haven't done that, and every time I see the, a thing on Twitter about it, I feel real guilty. Yeah. I do, I've done it a few times. I've called, I, I called Paul Ryan mm-hmm. uh, about Obamacare. Nice. Uh, I called the House Oversight Committee. Mm-hmm. about uh conflict of interests mm-hmm. uh, i haven't yet called about uh whichever group it is we're supposed to call about auditing the vote oh, I didn't know about that one. that's that's one that's going around um i need, I need to call my personal senator and mm-hmm. uh representative to talk about these appointments myself i'm gonna do that and i really should i just need to like make it really easy for myself mm-hmm. i do not like talking on the phone mm-hmm. uh, write a script find one right like I, I, yeah i need to like i'm gonna sit down and like do all the pre-work and be like okay this will be easy now mm-hmm. and then do it yeah but i'll make an official unprepared podcast recommendation that it's a good idea yeah you should do it please please help us <laughs> uh but yeah i mean things i mean like I don't. I don't care how you feel about Trump. I do, but I don't. <laughs> um, but you can't be happy about Stephen Bannon in the White House. Uh, some people are. Well, yes, the white supremacists. Right. David Duke is real happy that Steve Bannon's in the White House mm-hmm. or going to be in the White House. Yeah. Um, like if you're mad about Hillary's foundation and you're not mad that Donald Trump had hundreds of diplomats in his hotel to sell them on staying in his hotel when he's president you you can't you right. can't be not mad at one of those well you can be it just means that you there's a cognitive distance there and i don't right. know how to deal with it right like it's i just, can't it means most likely yeah. you're a misogynist and you just found things to hate about hillary clinton yeah. yeah or you your language is wrong like we've got the wrong language. Like that's that's the that's honestly like what I'm dealing with right now. Like as I'm trying to understand this, is like we are there is a language barrier here. Let's invent a new language. <laughs> you and I, right? We'll invent a new language. Uh-huh. And we'll construct it in a way where it changes people's brains when they're fluent in it to not be bigots. I'm okay with that. Maybe that's what we need. <laughs> oh man. Um, I'm not interested in talking about the events that are happening related to politics, and mm-hmm. stuff, but like we haven't talked since the election. Like I know, how, how are you? Like how how has it affected your life? Uh, I'm like I'm not doing great. I cry a lot. <laughs> I cried. I cried a couple times, like the first couple of days afterwards. Yeah. Like I I went. Uh, there's a Whole Foods just like mm-hmm. a couple blocks down. And walked to Whole Foods to yeah. get some groceries, and I was uh, listening. I forgot what I was listening to. I was listening to some music, and I just started crying. Yeah, and I just cried the whole yeah. way over to Whole Foods. The music is very good yeah. at doing that to me. Like yesterday, uh, don't judge me. I started listening to Christmas music. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's okay? I'm not. I'm not listening to Christmas music okay. right now because Thanksgiving hasn't happened. Okay. Okay. So you do. There you is are, an order. You are that kind of jerk. Um, <laughs> There's a set s- number of steps. I've listened to some Christmas music. Like yesterday, I came home from work, came into my apartment, 
turn on airplane, music started playing on my speakers. Next song that comes on is the Sufjan Stevens rendition of Oh Holy Night. And first, <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason, I just like fell on the floor and started to cry. Yeah. Because that's the kind of emotional state I'm in. Yeah. I've also been having a lot of nightmares. Really? Yeah. I've, I've not been having that problem. But... I'm, not a, I'm not a dreamer or a yeah. nightmare person, but like most nights for the last couple of weeks i will wake up in the middle of the night with a like from a nightmare oh i'm sorry which is real weird yeah i'm worried i'm i'm worried about what trump represents i'm also worried about the people in my life mm-hmm. um both the ones who did and didn't vote for trump like i'm i'm worried about the people who trump is targeting that i care about mm-hmm. Um, or more specifically, that Steve Bannon is targeting. Because uh, my new strategy is to call him the boss. Because <laughs> I honestly don't think Trump is smart enough to have done this thing, to done, to done these things. Like, I, I think Trump is not um, aware. I, like, I don't, I don't think Trump is necessarily a stupid per- or unintelligent yeah. person. Uh, I just truly think he doesn't care. Yeah, that, that's I, not better. I, but <laughs> like, I kind of think Trump doesn't really have that many opinions. Yeah. But like Steve Bannon is does and should strongly opinionated yeah. in that like we should be a white nationalist country. Yeah. And that's bad. Yeah. And you heard it here first. <laughs> that's a bad thing. Did you hear it first here? Because that's that's worrying. <laughs> you should you should check out like the Washington Post. Um uh, which I subscribe to. I subscribe to the Washington Post. Yeah. yeah. Uh because it seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. Support the free press. Yeah, they're all right. While you can. They're I did it because of, uh, really because of uh, David uh, Farenthold, mm-hmm. uh, who for the entire duration of the election was oh, trying to find anybody that Trump had donated his personal money to oh. and did not. There was one that might have. Might have. Might have, might have been a rounding error. Yeah. Might have been a round, uh, 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 filing error. Yeah. Um, but 400 plus that didn't. Yeah. I'm, so you were saying that you're worried about not necessarily the people that are being targeted by Trump. I'm, I'm worried about those people. Right. Like, there's lots of those in my life that I care deeply about, like all of the women. Uh, uh, there are a number of women in my life uh, who are on things like birth control for PCOS, which is a medical issue. I don't know what that is. Uh, stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. It is a collection of symptoms that we've called the disease. We don't, it, I mean, not even getting started on talking like the, the difficulties of women medicine. Um, but uh, it is a collection of symptoms that like your reproductive system's not working right and there's some blood problems and you might have cysts on your ovaries, but that's not actually a requirement to have polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, and the best solution we have right now, it's not even a solution, it's a treatment, is birth control. That seems mostly like an accident. Yes. Yeah. It's mostly like an accident. But so they take it to treat these symptoms yes. that make their life bad. Yes. Um, but the there are many on the right who believe that birth control should not be a right, which birth control should be a right regardless of any additional medical benefits. Sure. Absolutely give women and men control over their reproduction. Mm-hmm. That That is a choice they should be able to make. Uh, in any way they see fit. But because many on the right 
including Steve Bannon, as we've learned from things that were published on his website, which when he was running Breitbart, mm -hmm. believe that it is a luxury and insurance companies would be happy to agree with them so they don't have to pay for it. Right. Uh, and so if someone who is on birth control because of PCOS or any other reason the doctor deems necessary mm -hmm. and prescribes this, it is deemed a luxury and doesn't necessarily have to be covered by your insurance anymore. And it's That's the dream. Really expensive. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Like it's a, it becomes an incredible hardship. Yes. To do what should be a totally normal. Yeah, specifically targeted in this case at people with uteruses. Right. Yep. Um, and mm -hmm, yeah, like that's one yeah. of the many, many policy things that are that I have huge problems with. But I also like I. I sincerely worry and wonder about the people who aren't seeing these things or who don't understand them or who see them and choose against them or say that whatever they care about matters more mm. like that. Like the best answer I can come up with is a lack of empathy. And I don't want to think that's the case. Like I don't want to think that the people I love and care about who did vote for Trump, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's got to be some just knowing the number of people I know. I honestly don't know anybody that I'm close to that I know voted for Trump. Right. But they may be hiding that from me. Publicly said yeah. It. And I think that's probably a pretty popular strategy is to mm -hmm. have done it and not talk about it. Yeah. But, like, I cannot get into that headspace. And I cannot, I am having difficulty being empathetic to that. Mm -hmm. And I, I worry that if I can't be empathetic to that, I can't talk to them correctly. I can't help them see the world that I see. Yeah. Um, I still think voting for Trump was a hateful act. Mm -hmm. And that's independent of someone being a racist, a bigot, a, a misogynist, any of these uh, Islamophobe. Let's talk about the, the proposed registries. Um, any of that, voting for Trump does not make you one of those inherently. Mm -hmm. But I care way more about the impact than the intent. Right. And, that, and that's like what you just said, that difference between impact and intent is how... I can reconcile the fact that there are people who are friends of mine or who I know or like mm -hmm. family members who are like kind and reasonable people mm -hmm. otherwise who can justify a vote for Trump uh, because they like they don't consider they don't consider and or they aren't aware of the impact that it can have yeah. uh, when they just did it because, uh, you know, you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican because of abortion. Like, mm -hmm. for some people, that's the only consideration. Yes. Like, just abortion is bad. I need to vote for someone who who doesn't even, won't even, not necessarily will change something, mm -hmm. but just who agrees with me because that is... Or who says they agree with me. Right. Because, again, Im Im impact over intent. Right. I can't know what Trump thinks about abortion. He's actually said that he's both pro and anti-abortion. Right. And like I said before, yeah. I truly don't think he cares. About yeah. His opinion. And because it doesn't matter. Right. But so like there's people like that who can be like, yeah, like I'm not a fan of Mus like Muslim registries either, but he's a Republican and Republican means they have hold the same opinion on abortion as me. And that is so. Uh, that supersedes everything else. Yeah, that supersedes absolutely everything else. And so yeah. that's what my vote has to be. And 
I can understand, like, I can truly, like, I yeah. truly get that yeah. mindset, but I think it's just too dismissive. I, there is nothing I care about. And there is not one issue, one, like, unique issue that I care about enough that these people who voted on the abortion issue, that these single issue voters care about that much. Because I have to weigh like the larger impact of all of the proposed policies, mm -hmm. of all of these things that are going to happen. And honestly, like the, my vote was, who do I think will do the least amount of damage to people? Who will hurt people less? Yeah. And that's where I landed. Yeah. So I've been trying to like, since, so I... Starting like a year ago, I predicted that Trump would win. Like yeah. when I saw him winning, like gaining traction, and then when he started winning his primaries yeah. and stuff, I was like, oh, this won't stop. Yeah. I mean, everyone dismissed the fact that it could be possible because he's because he's ridiculous. It can't happen here. Right. Um, but I I was like, oh, like if he can win a primary. He can win an election. He can win the presidency. You know what I mean? There's yeah. No... I don't think I believed it. Like, honestly, like I I I was so shocked. It still surprised me just in the sense that I trusted the data. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I saw, I still feared and knew it was possible and still kind of thought like it, it certainly could happen. But when everyone says all the polling and everything, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a pretty scientific process. Yeah. Says it's unlikely. I go, okay, I guess it's unlikely. And we've had a good shot. Yeah. So I was still shocked. But I mean, there's people who from the very beginning just dismissed. Just thought it was absolutely yeah. impossible. So I, I didn't have that kind of yeah. shock. But since like since the election, I've been trying to reconcile or come to terms with this idea that like my role in society now is to like protect my friends. Yeah. Right? There's or not even just my friends, but like there's people who are gonna be hurt yeah. by this. And I'm not personally. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm sure my life might get worse in some ways. Yeah. Like there's not, I don't have any of the qualities that are being targeted. Yeah. So I guess I gotta figure out a way to help. Yeah. People. I've been donating a lot. Yeah. Like that's been my like yeah. I'll just I'll just pick a thing and like here's ten bucks here's something. Yeah. I um, but I'm struggling with what for me is like like other people with abortion was like the number one like this big number one issue. And I'm just super fatalistic about it. Like he's going to start a nuclear war. Yeah, that one's pretty close to a to a single issue, right? Like, like that's. And it's like okay, cool. So he'll deport a couple million people, and there'll be a Muslim registry, and like if yeah, we'll bring back the internment camps. If it gets real bad. There'll be internment camps, and like these are all catastrophes. Yeah, like the worst things America. Genocide level catastrophes. Right. Yeah. Uh, but like I don't know why bother stopping that if. The, like literal apocalypse will come anyway. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm, I mean, and I, I, there's a part of my brain that says you can't think like that. And yeah. That's not, it's not worth like setting priorities that way. Yeah. But that's, I'm in the, that's the dark place. That's the fear. Yeah. yeah. Like even I need to accept that even if a nuclear apocalypse will come in three years, yeah. it's worth fighting for three years to protect people from internment camps in the meantime. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I saw this and I just want to, I'm, I'm pivoting mm -hmm. something Donald Trump has never done. <laughs> uh, 
in the last election at least. Anyway, uh, someone pointed out to me that uh, of the last seven or eight elections, a Republican has only won the popular vote in one of them. Bush's second? Two Clintons. First Bush. Didn't win. None of those are Republican won. <laughs> the popular vote. Yep. Bush two. You know, the second round of Bush. He won the yeah. event. And then two Obamas and this one. So that's six out of the last seven. Uh, I don't like that that's true, but I guess that's a good sign. I, I don't I don't know what to do with that. Like I don't um the fact that for the first 200 years or so of American history, it had only happened three times that someone had won the popular election and not the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next two times happened in my lifetime. Yeah. That's a weird thing. Hmm. It's almost like voter suppression is a primary strategy of the GOP. Almost. Almost like that. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's uh, worrying. Yes, it is. Uh, and I don't – I do not expect the electors to change their vote. I do not expect the Electoral College to do anything except vote in. Yeah. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, like – There'll be a few. If someone – There'll did, be a few. But, uh, no, I'm, like, I don't have a hope that Clinton no. will somehow come out the president. I don't think the Electoral College should be a rubber stamp on the popular vote. But it will be. No, it won't. Because it was a rubber stamp on the popular oh, vote. Sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think I think there's a lot of flaws in the electoral college, right. um, and I think you know the the argument I always see against it is, oh, we don't want our president candidates just campaigning in the most populous states, mm-hmm. which if we were on a straight population based election would be the case. Right. But the electoral college doesn't fix that, because instead we have campaigns happening in the swing states right. almost exclusively right. you know how many ads i saw for either Tra- uh, trump or clinton in the last year none, we live in texas. none because i live in texas you know how many there were in california none because it's california right. new york maybe a couple because they're both from new york sure yeah you know maybe but like the the three most populous states had no say in the election right effectively and with the electoral votes being split up the way they are, a vote in California, Texas, New York actually counts less than a vote in Wyoming. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's a flawed system that I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. I do. I, I like the like founder's intent with the electoral college as a way to protect from tyranny protect from a nationalist up populist uprising yeah hi andrew jackson (laughs) um but this is the only like if if that if they're gonna do their job and serve their intent like this is the election to do it Mm -hmm. but that's not gonna happen and if it did it would be terrible like if it did i think it would lead to civil war like that's that's my fear. So your your fear is a nuclear apocalypse. My fear is a civil war. Do you, do you think so? 
brother against brother. I mean, I'm okay. I don't want a civil war, but yeah. what's the scenario where it happens? What, well, so so if, if the electoral college flips, yes. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think we have chosen the path least likely to get us there. And honestly, electing Trump was step one of the path least likely to get us to civil war. Because if Clinton won, there would have been way worse violence and yeah. protests and stuff. I, I suspect so. Yeah. Uh, there was certainly a lot of violent protest when Obama got elected. Mm-hmm. How soon we forget. Yeah. Uh, I, I went and someone posted a, a gallery of some of the various signs and protests that happened after Obama got elected. Man, were they racist. Yeah. Uh, ooh. Ooh. Yep. Um, and so I, like, I don't know that we're going to end in a civil war anymore. Like, I think we've chosen the path that won't get us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think the Democrats are the less violent party. But, like, that has been my fear throughout this election. Like, that's, and that's my fear about polarization. That's my fear about being unable to talk to people on the other side of the spectrum. Now, what I also get mad about is people who use that fear against me, who say, you just need to compromise with me. You just need to understand what I'm trying to say, which is not the same thing. Because that is, that is using my compassion against me. Um, or saying, you know, this wouldn't have happened if you didn't care so much about the rights of disenfranchised groups. Right. Yeah, the the desire to be, quote-unquote, like, understood mm-hmm. and empathized with by Trump voters is a request for dismissal. Yeah. Like, to say, oh, just, like, get over my opinions. Yeah. yeah. And that's not, yeah, I don't think that's a valid thing. That's not the same thing as my internal desire to understand why these people are the way they are so that I can right. talk to them and understand them and help them see why I am the way I am. Like I want to understand them so I can better communicate, right. not so I can agree with them or meet them in the middle. Right. Yeah, because the middle, like, if the middle is kind of hating Muslims, like, that's not good. <laughs> that's either. not a good, that's not a good middle. Right. That's like, that's not acceptable. That's not, the, that's not a kind, that's not a valid compromise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, um, I might, yeah, I'll cut this out. Uh, <laughs> I was talking with coworkers about, not the Civil War thing, uh, but the topic of assassination. Mm. And someone was like, there's no way Trump is going to, like, survive his presidency. Uh, and I, I disagree with that. Yeah, I think he'll make it. Um, I mean, he's old, so, like, he might just die from yeah. old. He might get impeached. Uh, Maybe. Did you see the thing about the, uh. The enumerance clause. I'm getting the name wrong. Um, Basically, the thing that uh, Trump did where he held the rally or had all the the diplomats at his hotel. If he does that or something like that after January 20th, he has broken the Constitution. Like that's that's literally a thing that's happened. And he could, I don't know that he would be, be impeached on that. Um, I don't think he'll, he won't be impeached. I, I think he, I think you could murder someone and he wouldn't be impeached. Yeah, yeah. Because we got an all red Congress. Remember, yeah, exactly. Do you remember? And so many like directions that we want to go. Yeah. Um, do you remember? Like maybe 
last year or at least many months ago when he like joked at a rally he was like i, I can shoot on, somebody and then on fifth avenue yeah. somebody and not lose a voter yeah like, i think it's still true how fucking predictive yeah like, that's the smartest thing he's ever said because it turns out like he hasn't shot somebody yeah that i know of <laughs> but he has done atrocious horrible things and terrible things have come to light about mm-hmm. him and it hasn't harmed him at all yeah so he was right about himself there yeah cool finish your uh, story about work and then we'll talk about something um, fun yeah so we were talking about that you know someone said he wouldn't survive his presidency and i said yeah. no way because similar to the civil war thing the kind of people who assassinate presidents voted for trump the kind of people who rebel and start civil wars voted for trump if hillary got elected i'd be very scared that she'd be assassinated mm-hmm. because there'd be plenty of people capable of and very willing mm-hmm. to do it but like the progressive liberal democrats aren't gonna they're not a, taking up arms we're not gonna start a violent uprising. no they're gonna have a peaceful protest yeah which, like they've been having like which is the right thing to do yes like the or the right thing to do is not start a violent uprising yes Yeah, using using false appeals for peace and moderation make me real mad. Um, I am wondering if and when the U.S. crosses the same line that at some point Nazi Germany crossed when the correct thing for the world to do was invade and kill Hitler. Yeah. Like, Technically, we the uh, Nazi Germany was invading other countries first. Right. Yeah. Right. But like, when does the U.S. start becoming a human rights catastrophe, such that I don't know the right thing to do is start a war against us? Yeah. It's hard to uh, hard to pick the the one line. Right. But the thing is, it's not going to be a one line. It's not going to be a an, a, a singular it's a nice, moment. Gradual normalizing slide. Yeah. So you start watching Bunheads yet? No. Oh. I've been rewatching it. It's really good. Started watching Luke Cage. Yeah. Um, did you see it? I've seen a third of it. I haven't finished it. Man, I didn't think the Netflix TV shows could do the thing the Netflix movies did and just start boring the hell out of. Them. Really, you're finding it boring? What a snooze fest. Yeah. Like interesting things are happening, but I. It is a very slow show. Well, it's not even slow. Like I just don't care. Yeah. Like Marvel. Uh, I said Netflix movies. And TV. I, I, I'm, I meant you meant Marvel, yeah. Uh, like, I love Jessica Jones. And I yeah, think Jessica Jones was really good. Daredevil season one and two are pretty good. But I, I can now see it. They're sliding into just making stories that make you not care. Yeah. Did you get to the... Um, did you get to the Wu-Tang Clan song? Mm, maybe. Uh, yeah, when he... Is that when he's... Is uh, it Cardor? Yeah. yeah, that was a good scene. It's all right. I, I just love that it was it was uh, scored to Wu Tang's yeah. "Bring the Bring the Ruckus." Um, I just I watched the episode uh, where he's remembering his time in prison. I haven't even gotten that far. Okay. Um, but it's just uh, I don't know. There's something about the way Marvel makes things that makes me not care. Yeah, well, it's a different group of people that run the uh, the TV studio from the film studio. Well, they're talking to each other apparently. Not enough. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, and that, like I was excited for it. Like, I, yeah, because I like when Netflix does original shows. I've mm-hmm. liked Marvel's shows for the most part so far, and like, I'll, I'll finish it because that's what I do. Yeah, because you can't not. Um, <laughs> because who knows? Maybe it gets good and ends well yeah. or something. But I don't know. It's 
Uh, yeah, we we don't we haven't been going back to it. Like we have like what do you want to watch and like that one doesn't come up. Um, I'm interested and I've heard really good things about uh, the Crown, another Netflix original. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that. Uh, I always forget the names of the queens. Is it Elizabeth? I think it's Elizabeth. When uh, when she's young and mm-hmm. becomes the queen, I think. I think so. That looks really cool. Yeah, which as uh, Lexi Alexander, critic critic somewhere, pointed out, uh, critic or director? I don't know what she does. I just see her people tweeting her stuff a lot. I don't uh, follow her. She's a director. Cool. Yeah, I follow her on Twitter. Cool. She called out, like, why are there no female directors on The Crown? There aren't? Nope. Oh, well. Uh, Jessica Jones season... Is going to be all female directors, which is like a very appropriate. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I have no problem with that. No, I don't have a problem. That's, <laughs> that's, that's cool. Great. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, this story about a woman, like, get the woman to tell the story. Yeah, it's a good show. I liked I liked Jessica Jones the most. Daredevil kind of fell off on me after the first season. Mm-hmm. I felt season two was very muddled and confused. Yeah. There's just something about, and I I don't. I don't I haven't learned or like studied film or like mm-hmm. television criticism to like know how to describe yeah. what I sense, but there's just something about the way Marvel constructs its its things to maybe uh, they're focusing too much on fan service and I'm not aware of what there's I'm supposed to be seeing. There's not enough of that. I don't know yeah. the story. As a fan, there's not enough of that. Really? I mean well it's not it's so I well, it's not that there is so much that it is a problem. Um, I mean, you remember my rant on Star Trek Wrath of Khan 2.0. Right. That was that was too much fan service that I think would be boring to somebody who had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I don't think the Marvel movies are doing that. Okay. Or TV shows. I, so. Here's what they're doing. They're squeezing six hours of TV into 13 episodes. Yeah, that's what you said before. Yeah. That might, that might I still think it. that's true. I, and I did note, so I did notice something that I, that really specifically yeah. bothered me. There's a scene in an episode of Luke Cage where the two detectives are in the room talking. Mm-hmm. One of them is eating his Chinese food. And mm-hmm. They're talking about themselves, and it's so in its character development. Yeah, it's let's learn about who these two people uh-huh. are. Right, there, there's characters that you've seen doing stuff and yeah. plot for, but now let's just sit down and learn about them. Except like the scene is screaming at you like here's our character development scene. Yeah. Like let's learn about these. It's just people. heavy-handed exposition. It's yeah. So obvious, and it pointed out to me that the show doesn't ever like naturally let me understand who these characters are. Yeah. Like I feel like in in non-Marvel shows and in movies, I don't know, like the. The script and the direction just allows for people to feel like normal people, mm-hmm. and here it's everyone feels like um yeah uh, a block being moved around. Well, I mean that's you know not to go to the the pinnacle of like white guy likes TV shows, but The Wire does. <laughs> Have you seen The Wire? Yeah, really... I, I haven't seen. The yeah, Wire. you should see The Wire though. Uh, next time you uh, renew your HBO subscription, start watching it. Okay. Uh, man, us white people love talking about The Wire. Uh, but The Wire does that very well. Just normal people and mm-hmm. characters. And you understand them by their actions and what they do mm-hmm. and not them telling you their backstories to each other. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest example uh, that came up to, that, that came, comes to my mind from The Wire 
is uh, there is this is three or four seasons in. There is a scene set in a gay bar mm-hmm. uh, where just a couple cops are doing something there, or a bad guy's doing something there. I don't remember. Well, everybody's a bad guy on the wire, but a <laughs> or nobody's a good guy, I should say. Nobody's a good guy. Not everybody's a bad guy. Um, but there's a scene happening there, and then the camera pans or somebody moves and you see just a guy sitting at a table in this gay bar, a character who's been on this show for the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. And then it moves away from him and isn't, isn't involved in the scene at all. Isn't involved in the scene at all. Doesn't come up again. As far as I know mm-hmm. in the TV series. Yeah. That's perfect. That's a genius. <laughs> Like the, the show wouldn't have even suffered without that. No. Right? But it's it's doing something very smartly and naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And just moves on. Like there's uh I feel like maybe it's it, there's kind of just this balance and it's impossible to achieve a perfection in it because Marvel's things are very like expertly constructed like nothing's wasted it's mm-hmm. that, it's that idea of like waste nothing mm-hmm. every scene every action every element of what you're seeing on screen is serving a purpose mm-hmm. but at some point that feels exhausting yeah um when like i'll contrast that with Battlestar, which i just watched four seasons of uh-huh. quickly. um there's a lot of stuff in Battlestar that doesn't serve a purpose. Like that is certainly true. <laughs> right, like there's, there's plenty of whole episodes in Battlestar that can just be left out. Yeah. Uh, and you don't really miss anything essential. Mm-hmm. There's scenes and locations and interactions that just kind of happen and you don't need. Yeah. But their existence makes things feel fuller and mm-hmm. like more real. Like my understanding of Kareth Race as a character is improved by all the stuff that isn't essential that i've seen in the show of her well and one could argue that that's what makes it essential is it's not it's not essential for plot or story or moving the action forward um but if all we needed from our tv was the action the the moments you could describe that in 20 minutes and be done And maybe that's it. Maybe. And then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Bye. <laughs> right. Maybe that's what Marvel's doing. Is it's everything serves the serves a purpose for the next action and the next the next thing and the, and like yeah. the next season and the next movie. Like it all feels like it's setting up something that's coming. Well, there's certainly that, and I I feel like the TV series, well, especially Luke Cage. I think Daredevil season two had a lot of this as well. Um. Is there is there's almost no forward momentum, but the time we're spending with these characters is meaningless. I don't follow that. Um, so, uh, Electra in Daredevil season two. Mm-hmm. What was her arc? Would you say in in Daredevil season two? What happened to her? Mm-hmm. And then does she die? Or I, like I don't remember even that well. Uh huh. Right. 
I love that you don't know. <laughs> I know, but because I know her comic history. Right. I think she shows up and hangs out with him and is like kind of funny and they have sex probably and then she dies in a fight. Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> she does die. Nailed it. Uh, that's that's a, a famous part of Electra's story. She dies. Okay. So she's one of those walking in and say, like, yep, you're going to die eventually. Uh, just because we can't tell an electric story where that doesn't happen. Um, so that's that's the story. You got it. <laughs> Womeninrefrigerators.com And like that's the story and that's the action. But that middle part of like she hangs out with Matt a lot. Like didn't tell me more about him or her. Like I have no idea who she is as a person. But I spent 10 hours looking at her doing stuff. Yeah. Yep. But that stuff didn't matter. It didn't move the plot forward. But it also did not tell me anything about her. Yeah. And that is what makes bad TV. Yeah. That's what I mean when I'm saying we're stretching a two-hour movie into 15 episodes. Right. Is we're not gaining a deeper understanding of anybody. Uh, like season one of, or, I mean, honestly, the whole show, but season one of Orange is the New Black, very little happens. Um, there's very little change from the beginning of the series to the end of the series in, in who these people are or the circumstances or, you know, very little time has passed, relatively speaking. You know, it's been a couple months at most. But we have a deeper understanding of who these people are. And all the time that we were spent with them was about them and who they are and their their viewpoints and how they got to be here right. without just saying, this is how I got to be here. Right. Because, like, so this the stuff that happens isn't actually that important. Mm -hmm. The stuff that happens is serving the purpose of just happening so you can watch the characters and learn about who they mm -hmm. are based on how they react to it. That's a very, and like, that's the opposite of Marvel shows. Yeah, that's a very, like, sitcom-y kind of thing where mm -hmm. you spend season after season just learning about characters who don't necessarily have to change all that much yeah just every new 30 minute situation like eliminates the characters a little bit more. see i would say sitcoms do that don't don't even do that sitcoms you have your stock characters who react to different situations in ways that we expect yeah because leonard's gonna be mad at sheldon and sheldon's gonna say bazinga I've described every episode of Big Bang Theory. And I like Big Bang Theory. All right, maybe, we should, maybe you should think about good sitcoms. <laughs> Kramer does a goofy thing. Yeah. Elaine misunderstands her boyfriend and George is miserable. <laughs> yeah, Seinfeld is, yeah, yeah. I've described every episode of Seinfeld. Also, Jerry's there for some reason. Because <laughs> he has the apartment that people <laughs> hang out. That's all he is. Jerry's an apartment for the people that hang out. Yeah. He exists for a set. <laughs> And I don't know more about Seinfeld characters at the end of the last season than I do at the beginning of the season. They're the same. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Um, but the situation, hence situation comedy, is what I come for. It's like, how are they going to react to this wacky situation? Yeah. George pretends he's a marine biologist. This isn't going to go well. <laughs> Jerry's girlfriend has goofy hands. Um, I was thinking about... Gave that example. I was thinking about Parks and Rec. Okay. Which I think is a, a little bit different. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that is true. Where like you kind of do truly have characters who change over time. Yes. And you do learn about them. 
It's a very character-driven. Yes. Yes, it is. But yeah, yeah, we're both right to various degrees. Yeah. Yeah. I think How I Met Your Mother found a nice balance between those two. Yeah? Yeah, because there was forward momentum, although in the last couple of seasons it was real but real slow. It really stalled itself out. But the first, like, three seasons, there's a lot of forward momentum and depth of character, but it is, you know, each episode is, like, a thing that happened. And it's presented as, let me tell you about this time this story happened. Yeah. I should just stop watching Marvel things. I stopped watching the movies. Like, I, I haven't. Thought, I haven't seen Doctor Strange, and I'm in no real hurry to do so. No, I don't. I don't care. I might. Uh, I'll finish Luke Cage. Yeah. Because you have to. And, and, I, and I've only seen four episodes, and maybe yeah. maybe it does me good. If you've only seen four, I've probably only seen three. Um, and I will definitely watch Jessica Jones because I did think Jessica Jones. Yeah, was Jessica Jones is really good. But I'm not gonna watch Daredevil again. If Luke Cage doesn't turn around, I won't watch the second. Movie. Are you gonna watch uh, Punisher when it comes out? No. Okay. Because like Punisher was in Daredevil season two, yeah. and I don't care. Yeah. About him. Yeah. He was just a guy with a mean voice who liked to shoot big guns. He did. He really liked to shoot big guns. Yeah, he did have some big guns. We'll get into that. Yeah. Um, if they made a Squirrel Girl show, I'd watch that. I would too. That sounds pretty cool when you described it to me. I thought yeah. I was having a fever dream. It sounded so weird. <laughs> I did just finish uh, Squirrel Girl beats up the Marvel Universe. Really good. Nice. Really nice. Yeah, that's. I mean, I don't blame you. New Star Wars coming out. You excited about that? Boy, am I. Yeah. I feel like Star the Rogue One is gonna be the thing that like really, really gets me ready for the Resistance. You know what I, mean? <laughs> like, I, th- I feel like Rogue One is turning out to be a very well timed movie. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm gonna be like, yeah, fuck this. Let's start a Resistance. <laughs> and I feel like yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm very excited to see Rogue One. Yeah, I saw a funny thing without going too much back into politics. Um, <laughs> like all these all these people who were like, I love the Hunger Games. I love Harry Potter. And it's like, you just voted for the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or my other favorite tweet was uh, 2016. Uh, Donald Trump can never be president. 2017, President Trump could never do that. <laughs> 2018, you watching the Hunger Games this year? Sure hope my district wins. Oh, no. No. Oh, it could happen. I saw that tweet and it made me he laugh like crying. Him. He does. Schwarzenegger is going to be the new host of Celebrity Apprentice. That's, that a, a, that's a thing that I saw on the internet. That's a real thing? As far as I know, yeah. I, I saw it on a reliable source. Yeah. He's done it all. I'll give him that. Yeah. Stopped the apocalypse a couple times. Mm-hmm. He's governor of California. Seriously, bodybuilder to actor to governor. Yeah. To host a reality TV show. More than I've ever done. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? What are we talking about? Star Marvel, Wars. Star Wars. Luke Cage is boring. Hey, folks at home, send us an email and tell us what Jesse was going to talk about. What was I thinking about? I have somewhere to go. I don't know. Marvel TV shows are boring, and you're going to quit. Yeah. I will. After I finish this season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have no real desire to see Doctor Strange. Mm -mm. 
I saw, I feel like the last couple Marvel movies I've seen out of obligation. Yeah, and I hate that. Yeah. Because I'm a very, I'm someone who does things out of obligation and I always yeah. feel like a chump doing it. I felt like that about Ant-Man. Uh-huh. I felt, I felt like that about Civil War. Like, everybody loved Civil War and I was like, eh. You saw it? Yeah. And it was eh? Yeah. Captain Marvel and like, Iron Man. I started feeling that. Punch each other a bunch. Uh, the Avengers was the first thing that gave me the tinge of it. Really? Like, like the, the first Avengers? Yeah, I think the Avengers was good. Yeah. But that's where I was like, ooh, like I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see the the pattern. Marvel machine. Yeah. Right. And then, like I think I watched whatever the individual like phase two phase two things were, and that's yeah, where yeah. I Thor two did a couple of those, and I was like, yeah. no, no way. Can't yeah. Do it. I feel you. Um, Guardians, I think was pretty good. Guardians was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Yeah, it was. It was uh, removed enough mm-hmm. from the rest that helped. That it felt new and it didn't, yeah. didn't feel like a cog. Yeah, uh, Civil War was just not good. Like people, like it was, it was spectacular. People love. And I don't like, and it well done. Like there, there's a big fight scene where everybody fights each other, and it's a really good fight scene where everybody fights each other. They're at an airport, and the airport's not real. Yeah, like uh, the whole scene's not real. A, they weren't real people. Yeah. They're 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 or superheroes. No, the airport, what, or something like something or everything wasn't real. Like the whole entire thing was CGI. Yeah, ninety percent of that thing seemed like CGI. Like they filmed yeah. some stock footage at an airport and then they just CG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is fine. They did a good job. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, but like the 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 reason they were fighting was poorly defined. The reason different people were on each team was poorly defined. Like this side's on this side because reasons. This side's on this side because different reasons. <laughs> Ant Man literally shows up because he was in that movie. He, he was in Ant Man, <laughs> and in Ant Man he hung out. Or he met the Falcon, and so the Falcon called him in this movie and said, "Hey, come be on Captain America's side." And he's like, "Okay, I guess." That's it. Yeah. Well, the whole point is he's kind of a lazy dude. Oh, yeah? Well, in the movies he is depicted as such. Did you see Ant-Man? No. Okay. No, I don't care to. No, you're fine. Uh, I remember where I, what I was going to say. Awesome. Um, you mentioned uh, people who are fans of things like Harry Potter and, yeah. and whatnot who don't realize they voted for the villain. Yeah. Um, I learned recently that... American white supremacist movement uh, very strongly attaches itself to the Lord of the Rings and sees really? a depiction of them being correct. That's fascinating. And that horrifies Sure, me. sure. Because, uh, like, it, this is a very dumb example, but you know the uh, Pepe the Frog? I do. How that was just like a dumb, silly meme on the yep. internet. Yep, and, and now it is a symbol of hate. Yeah, and Trump supporters picked it up and, oh, there it is. Totally ruined. Yep. Like, I... And I feel like they've liked Lord of the Rings since it came out. This isn't like something that's just started. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it won't won't, won't hurt your fandom too much. But boy, I hope like the primary fans of Lord of the Rings don't turn in, don't turn out to be white supremacists because that yeah. would really really make you sad. I might have like a personality destruction <laughs> if that happens. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, but yeah, and 
and it goes into uh, there's a lot of really valid criticism mm-hmm. of, of the way Tolkien treats race. Yes. Um, but boy, that scares me. Yeah. Like I'm very willing to admit Tolkien was at least a little racist. Yeah. Like he was he was a he was a good guy. He was a he was a Christian, and he has written about how he actually like truly believed that all people are equal. But mm-hmm. there's all kinds of implicit biases and unconscious ways you depict them. That, oh, absolutely. That show yeah racism even if it's not intended mm-hmm. uh, but like all the good people are white and all the bad people live in the east and in the south and they're dark yep like when you write a story you arbitrarily get to choose what those mm-hmm. things are and it's at least telling yes of your biases when that's absolutely yeah your story um but white supremacists see that and they go see here's Girl. a great story that shows all the white people being the good guys yeah yeah Meanwhile, my favorite fandom of Star Trek is the best still. Hey, just because uh, mine is favored by white supremacists doesn't mean yours isn't a bunch of dorks. <laughs> there'd be a dork than a white supremacist. Uh, I did see a, a critic go, like, I just want to make more people watch Star Trek right now. Like, that was her reaction. <laughs> it's like, we need more people to be watching Star Trek. Yeah, because it's wholesome and good. Well, but like instills like like these values yeah. and like Star Trek reinforces my view that people can be good to each other and <laughs> like that it is possible to live in a society that doesn't like hurt each other and that that's a good thing. Sounds fake, but okay. But like, so that's so I was like definitely with that with uh, that critic being like, yes, more people need to watch more Star Trek. Yeah. But like I, I read or watch Lord of the Rings, and I go, and I see like different kinds of people can come together mm-hmm. as a group, as long as they're white, and, and accomplish, accomplish something impossible and overthrow and overcome oppression. Yeah, like as long as they're all white. As long as they're all white. So, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I shouldn't needle you so on this. When I when I reread the Lord of the Rings a couple yeah. months ago, I uh, did so with this knowledge. Mm-hmm white supremacists liking Lord of the Rings and and I noticed places where like this stood out and mm-hmm. it is really bad in a lot of ways like uh, uh, one of the race of Easterling men mm-hmm. is like very horribly portrayed as like a like Chinese uh, caricature like, uh, slant eyed and oh yeah, it, it's rough oh um, and the only way to excuse that is like it's just an accident like it's just a coincidence that Bad people are portrayed with characteristics that are similar to how we portray things. Yeah. I don't... Impact matters more than intent. Exactly. Um, But there are are counter-arguments to it. Like, Mm -hmm. there... In in Tolkien's world, there's three different, like, varieties of hobbits. Okay. And one of them, like, the most common one is depicted as having brown skin. Okay. Or, like, browner skin than the others. Mm -hmm. And that is an opportunity that like the movies could have taken yes and chose not to they didn't um and there's a lot there is a lot more uh diversity in the books than the movies do portray yeah all the elves in the movies are like have beautiful straight blonde hair and Mm -hmm. tall and pretty yeah that's not how the elves are portrayed in In lord of the rings yeah the, and like the thing with the hobbits and like yeah. the color scheme like 
there were opportunities to do so. And even if there weren't, the movies should could have, have yeah. Could have arbitrarily chosen, like, you know, let's make dwarves black. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or some of them. Right. Or, yeah, some of them. Like, let's include some diversity that wasn't yeah. there because it doesn't harm the output at yes. all to do so. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm confident I can... I can come to terms with the fact that white white supremacists like the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. because of white supremacy, but I'm still confident that Tolkien wasn't a white supremacist. No, I don't think he was a white supremacist. I think he was a product of his time, yeah. and that gave him a lot of inherent biases that need to be called out and aware of, yeah. and fought against. Right. Um, but yeah, when you're, I keep going back to these things. It's, it's in my brain. I can't really get it out right now. When your presidential candidate is liked by white supremacists mm-hmm. and the Klan, mm-hmm. and that doesn't cause an existential moment of crisis for you, right. I get worried. Right. Like that's, like you go, well the, the, well, the Klan's got to endorse somebody. Yeah, but this is who they picked. <laughs> right. Right. You like the same person as them. Yeah, does that not and cause it, a, you some concern? I can accept. Yeah. That the clan can like somebody for different reasons mm-hmm. than you liking them. Mm-hmm. But you should stop and think right. about you like think, oh, are these are these negative characteristics that might be too bad for to mm-hmm. overcome the positive things yeah. I like about them? And not my favorite interpretation of uh, this whole thing is who voted for Trump not for explicitly like racist and misogynist mm-hmm. are doing it because they are thirsty for feeling powerful. Yeah. Which is the uh, I think like the best reasoning behind why like the evangelical Christian mm-hmm. world like went like 80% yeah. for Trump or something like that. I, I can't handle that. It's the church the broader yeah church in america has a horrible persecution complex yeah and this makes them feel powerful so they, they can truly not be consciously like racist and, and whatnot mm-hmm. but it's just too tempting yeah to pass it up. <laughs> fuck i hate talking about trump it makes me so mad yeah uh what else can we talk about that's not like Crushing oppression. Talk about not crushing oppression while we, while we still can. Yeah. Uh, um, have you listened to Hamilton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, uh, I listened to it like a couple months ago. I, I listened to it for the first time. And yeah. I like it. Yeah. I'm not a musical person. So That's I, fair. I didn't like obsess over it. It was pretty good. And then I listened to it yesterday yeah actually because of the whole yeah the, well, the, the thing silly controversy yeah uh, but i was like i'm gonna listen to hamilton that'll feel good yeah uh, and it did. Hamilton. i really like hamilton uh i'm also very excited about the hamilton mixtape coming out yeah uh yeah so this is a project that uh lin-manuel miranda has been working on for a while mm-hmm. um that is uh, in the hip-hop world and i'm speaking as like total ignorant white dude here uh in the hip-hop world uh, there is a thing called mixtapes and they're different from albums because they're often about like remixes and reinterpretations and, and 
I don't know how they're different. They're different. I, I know they're different. Do you know anything about these things? Not Little really. no. Okay, cool. I'm not educated. Uh, I know, for example, um, uh, I think it was it was a guy. It was a guy you recommended to me. It was either Chance the Rapper or uh, yeah, Chance the Rapper. Uh, his latest coloring book. Yes, coloring book is, is a mixtape. Mix and I don't know why it's a mixtape and not an album. Like I don't, Neither do I. I don't like understand. Like, like I listened to it and it was like that sounds like an album. I don't know what I'm missing, but it is. It is classified as a mixtape, and I am going to go with that and say, yep, that's what that is. Right. Uh, but the Hamilton mixtape uh, has Lin Manuel Miranda inviting a number of artists, uh, well known and not, mm -hmm. and by well known and not, I mean to me, they might be well known <laughs> to other people. Um, <laughs> to reinterpret and reimagine a number of the songs, or if not all the songs, from Hamilton. Mm -hmm. um, and they've released a couple of the tracks already. So uh, there's a reinterpretation of My Shot yeah. uh, that includes Buster Rhymes, okay. who was the inspiration for Hercules Mulligan. Nice. Uh, as, as stated by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Miranda. Yeah. And so, like, there's a lot of these, like, thematic things. And it's not just, like, a cover of the song. It's, like, taking that idea and making it their own. And so each rapper has a verse about, like, how, like, they're shot and, like, what that's right. going to look like and, you know, why how they've gotten to be where they are. That's really cool. Um, and some of them are more, more straightforward covers. Um, some of them are not. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good song that is, it's called Immigrants, We Get the Job Done. Um, which is taking that line from Battle of Yorktown and like expanding it into like a whole song by three or four different rappers about like what it's like to be an immigrant and like the, the difficulties and things and it's, it's really good. Um, but the album drops at the beginning of December and I'm very excited for it. Like yeah. I think it's an interesting idea to, to take something like this and then give it to artists and say like make it your own and reinterpret it. Yeah, I'll be really interested in that because Hamilton is a hip-hop musical, mm -hmm. and it's really good, mm -hmm. and when you listen to it, it's not just listening to hip-hop, because it's still very much a musical. Yes, yes. But I'm very interested in uh, a hip-hop album mm -hmm. that is just, like, normal hip-hop songs, mm -hmm. but that is, has the trappings of Hamilton stuff. Yeah. And, and that's what this appears to be, like, yeah. from the songs that have been released so far. That sounds like something I could just, like... Listen to all the time. Yeah. I, I, I'm not the kind of person you can just like listen to Hamilton as music. Yeah, it's I am, but that's okay. <laughs> but I also listen to other musicals just as music. So what do you know? What do I know? But uh, so, yeah, it seems like a really you interesting thing. More about musicals. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of, very quickly, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson is a musical that is basically about Donald Trump, except it came out like four years ago or six years ago. Really? Yeah. It's about Andrew Jackson, but the parallels are striking. Yeah, he was a bad dude. Yes, uh, some have called him American Hitler. Mm. Maybe I uh, used that one a little too early. <laughs> I mean, he did like he did get a genocide. Yeah, like he genocided some people. Yeah, he did. Uh, we can have more than one. <laughs> we don't want more than one, but. <laughs> So answer your second question first. Uh, I do have a preferred way of uh, making turkey on Thanksgiving. And it 
is. Uh, you got to brine it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't care, really care how you cook it. I mean, roasting is fine. Uh, I have fried a turkey a couple times. Mm-hmm. And frying a turkey is certainly good, uh, but it's a lot of work and very dangerous. Yeah, I've never done it, but I've, I would try it. I would try try it eating it, but I'm yeah. not ready to fry it. It tastes good. Like, fried turkey is pretty good. Um, but it's so super dangerous. Yeah, I don't want to mess with that. Um, Alton Brown, who again, like, is my food guru, mm-hmm. like, invented a turkey derrick yeah. to use to properly, safely fry a turkey. Right. Uh, it involves a ladder and ropes and pulleys <laughs> and adequate distance. Yeah, I've, I've seen too many videos on YouTube of it going poorly. Oh, they're so bad. I had uh, even just uh, doing anything with a large amount of hot oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. I had a friend who uh, literally burned half his house down because he Like grease fire? Grease fire. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Um, oh, that's so bad. <laughs> yeah, brining a turkey is good. I've had it that way a couple of times, and it mm-hmm. always, always seems to be better. But I've only ever, for Thanksgiving, it's always ever just been oven roasted. Yeah. Um, apparently, there's a thing that uh, I was talking to my mom, and she's going to try this this year, and I want to try it sometime. Uh, is it spatchcocking? Yes. Spatchcock turkey? Yeah, basically, you cut out the spine. Yeah, and then it's, it's splayed out, mm-hmm. so all of the meat is facing. Yeah, and it cooks more evenly and quicker. Right. Uh, it is something I'd like to try. Uh, butchery is difficult for me. Like, I've tried to butcher and spatchcock and, like, cut up pieces of things, and it's it's difficult. Mentally? To... No, physically. Like, I'm bad at it. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind cutting them up. Okay. Like, it's, it's food. Yeah, and, and I can understand that, and I'm, I respect that, and I think it's important to remember that this was a thing that's alive. Sure, yeah. Uh, and that I'm eating it and taking its energy, but, mm-hmm. like, literally, I'm taking the things that it... You're, you're yeah. taking the sun's energy. Yeah, but it was the, the chickens first. Yeah, they were, like, a middleman. Yeah. There's an episode of uh, Bill and I, the Science Guy, entirely about that. <laughs> But how we get all of our energy from the sun. Yeah. Every last bit of it. Yeah. No sun, no energy. Except the geothermal energy. Yeah. How do we get plants to live on geothermal energy? It's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got nothing then. Yeah, it's too hot for those plants. I guess you could use geothermal energy to power UV lights and grow plants under those. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but probably less efficient than the sun. Yeah. I'm just saying if, like, we destroy the sun. Gotcha. Okay. If we accidentally destroy the sun, what is our backup plan? Yeah, that's... Hey, listen, I'm not going to put it past Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that the uh, the premise of the movie Sunshine? I don't know. Okay. The sun was dying and they... We're going to go nuke it back into oh, not being dead anymore. Again, not a scientist. I don't think that's how this works. <laughs> well, they, it took a lot of nukes. Okay, sure. Now, now I'm on board. <laughs> I thought it was a little bit of nukes at first. There's a lot of nukes. Okay, a lot of nukes. Yeah, that's how this one works. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, the sun does work off of nuclear fission. Isn't it fusion? It might be. I don't know the difference. It's the fusion one. Cool. That's Yeah, because fission is uh, one atom hits another atom and they break apart. And then fusion is one atom hits another atom and they fuse together. Okay, we'll go with the one that the sun does. And fusion releases more energy and that's the one that the sun does. Cool. Good job, sun. Thank you, son. That's like nukes. That's like nukes. Well, yeah. <laughs> there are nuclear fusion bombs. But yeah. That's not what we call nukes. That's just nukes. Okay. Uh, and fusion is the thing where scientists are trying to figure out a way to make a sustainable fusion reactor that can supply us with energy. Mm. Nuclear power plants are nuclear fission plants. Okay, and that's fusion, less efficient. Fusion would be a very great way to power all of the world's things with electricity yeah. but it's it's hard we're getting there yeah the sun's doing it just gotta get one isn't that just like a giant fusion plant yeah you just gotta get a little one <laughs> you saw spider-man 2 with uh i did it was a long time ago that's the that's the premise of spider-man 2 yeah he creates a little fusion reactor good job and then it doesn't go so well yeah that happens <clears throat> poor doc ock yeah speaking of tv shows that i absolutely love is this the other thing you want yeah. to Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I made... So let me ask you this. Do you know about Seinfeld 2000? No. It's a Twitter account. Oh, it's uh, Seinfeld premises for the modern world. Well, so there was... So there was originally a show called, like, Seinfeld Today or Seinfeld Modern or whatever mm -hmm. that was like, what if, Sein what if Jerry got an iPad? Well, ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> that would be weird or like man George would have voted for Trump like that sort of stuff okay um, and that has not that was briefly popular and has not updated in a couple of years okay um, somebody else made a parody of that account <laughs> called Seinfeld 2000 uh, that is still running and is very funny um, where he misspells all the characters' names and is a huge fan of B-movie. Oh, my God. And, like, like says things like, what if Jerry get iPad? <laughs> is it like a sign? Is it a Seinfeld e-books? No, it's all, it's, it's, it's scripted. Okay, someone's so, actually writing. Yes, it. okay. it's very, it's very, like, intentional. I, I love e-books accounts, by Yeah, way. they're fun. Um, and like the guy, I mean, he might be a big fan of Seinfeld. I don't know, but it's, it's kind of this absurdist humor now at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, there's, I'm sure there's a couple of tweets I can pull, but like the characters are all called, called like George <laughs> and, uh, Krames. I'm, I'm so happy the internet developed this yeah form of humor um this is, this is like a thing on twitter this like really weird absurd yeah like jokeless yeah seinfeld current day at seinfeld 2000 okay. um the the header image is uh photoshop of jerry seinfeld wearing google glass <laughs> um imagine seinfeld was never canceled and still nbc comedy program today uh Or 
I mean, just like, what if Seinfeld was Pulp Fiction? George, you know this car used to belong to John Voight. And then it's this picture. <laughs> or uh, if I tell you to put Trump on my latte, you have to put Trump on my latte with an image of Kramer, like at a Starbucks. Like these very dumb and intentionally very dumb sort of silly things. Like what if B-movie's still in theaters today? And it's a picture of the Fantastic Beasts photo, but instead it says Fantastic Bees. Oh, God. I hate it. It's so, like, this so super dumb and silly and dumb humor that I really enjoy. He's got 133,000 followers and follows one person. You will never guess who. Lena Dunham. <laughs> what? Is it Lena Dunham running it? I don't think so. If it was, that would be fantastic. Uh, and I like it, and I think it's funny. And... So I have <laughs> putting this out on the internet because nobody listens to our podcast anyway. I have in homage to Seinfeld 2000 mm -hmm. created at Bunheads 2000 oh my God. as a Twitter account. No way. Yes, because I, I do absolutely love Bunheads uh -huh. so much. And I've been rewatching it, and it made me mad that it's not on TV anymore today. And I thought it would be funny. And there was there is like at Bring Back Bunheads that's been around for a while, but hasn't updated in a couple of years. Right. Um, and so are you writing stupidly crafted? Uh, right now, I'm I'm being fairly straightforward. I've only I did this like three days ago, and I've only posted like three or four things. Well, three things exactly. Like, what if Bunheads still on TV with all new episodes? And then uh, Boo and Ginny and Sasha and Melanie and Michelle are all still dancing in my heart. Those are the five main characters who are all dancers. Um, and then Netflix should have revived Bunheads instead of Gilmore Girls. And so like, I don't know that I'm going to go anywhere with this or do anything with it, but I really wanted the idea of having Bunheads 2000. I like it. Bunheads 2000. Um, yeah, so far no followers. Uh, and I'm not following anybody. But I really... I just thought it would be really funny. And I don't have a picture. I just have a picture of the Bunheads. It's not like yeah. uh, them wearing Google Glass. Um, are you familiar with the uh, Twitter account Birds Rights Activist? I love me some Birds Rights Activist. Yeah. This is like my prime example of this like super weird yeah. Twitter comedy. Yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, they were tweeting about yeah if you like <clears throat> if you like birds rights activists you will also like said kevin twitter recommendation engine mm -hmm. uh a single bear yep. and uh my other favorite one at sick of wolves Ooh, what's that one? Uh, it is a totally normal human being who is definitely not a wolf pretending to be a human. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, that. Oh, come on. My finger does work. Unlock my phone. Yeah. At Sick of Wolves. Um, is, is often my favorite. <laughs> I've never seen that one. Yeah, uh, I love interviewing for jobs because I love lying literally all of the time. Um, are you familiar with 
you familiar with Nihilist Arby's? Yep, I know Nihilist Arby's. That one's pretty good. I had to. I don't. I don't follow Nihilist Arby's, but I see occasionally. Yeah, I had to stop following Nihilist Arby's because I was like, this is too much. Like, yeah. This is too nihilist for me. I've wanted to. Um, like my goal has been, or I've I've considered doing this in the past. Uh, removing all the real people from my Twitter account and just following novelty accounts because real people on Twitter make me sad. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I follow a lot of novelty accounts. So uh, I follow, well, I follow a few, uh, well, like uh, bots, like Lesbian Pulp Bot, mm-hmm. uh, which just tweets pulp lesbian fiction covers that's awesome uh which is pretty great uh it's only got it's got sub 700 followers uh fake science which does fake science images uh there's a fake uh bill nye twitter account i haven't seen that yeah uh i will put all these in the show notes when this episode yeah. comes out so that we're not just talking about nonsense yeah uh i do follow uh again so fictional characters are okay in this sort of realm so like rogelio de la vega who is a character on Jane the Virgin. Okay. He's got a Twitter account. I follow him. It's a Twitter account of the character? Yeah. Nice. It was his Twitter account, the characters. Oh, and it's actually associated with the show? Yeah. Oh, cool. And, like, used on the show. And, like, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, Jane the Virgin does interesting yeah. blending with the real world like that. Um, uh, Picard Tips, which are tips from Captain Picard. Uh, who uh, the same guy runs Picard tips, emails from Worf, and Riker Googling, which is probably <laughs> the most popular one. I've seen Riker Googling before. They're all pretty good. Um, I'm skipping the real people. Oh, I follow. So Squirrel Girl does a bunch of uh, Twitter accounts in the mm-hmm. comics. Okay. And they're all real. Nice. So like, there's uh, Anthony Stark is one, and she tweets with. Um, Squirrel Girl a lot. And, like, these are all official accounts, like... That are owned by Marvel. I don't know if they're owned by Marvel. They're, they're written by Ryan North, okay. the guy who writes Squirrel Girl. Um, so I follow Squirrel Girl, obviously. Um, Tony Stark, Spider-Man, Nancy Whitehead, uh, who is a girl who is not friends with Squirrel Girl because uh, Squirrel Girl doesn't have a secret identity. But Nancy mm-hmm. is just, like, a person that's near each other a lot. Um, uh, uh, are you familiar with I'm, I'm looking through my yeah. following list I'm going to mm-hmm. list off my favorite non-real people accounts yeah uh, are you familiar with Los Feliz Daycare no so it's a it's a Twitter account of a non-existent mm-hmm. uh, LA area daycare mm. uh, and it's a parody of the ridiculous state of like child care and parenting okay today uh it's really good that sounds pretty good uh avocado real avocado fact um this is this is so i I love real avocado they this might be my favorite not real account Mm -hmm. um it's performative it's a fruit death is coming organize yourselves (laughs) and it tweets like anti-capitalist messages Uh and uh things like that and avocado facts like did you know avocado is a fruit yeah, uh, I follow a lot of Muppets. 
So I follow Scooter, Miss Piggy, Kermit the Frog, Fozzie, Rizzo, Gonzo, Uncle Deadly, Snuffleupagus, uh, Ernie's Rubber Ducky. Not Ernie, but the duck. Yeah. Uh, the Yip Yip Martians, Count Von Count. Uh, his Twitter account is great because all he does is count things. And by things, I mean the number of tweets he's made. Yeah. So uh, his most recent count said 987, which is also his 987th tweet. Is that all it is? That's all it is. Oh it's just God. numbers of the tweet. So it's just, it's, he's just counting up. Oscar, Bert, Ernie, Big Bird, Grover, uh, Seinfeld, Current Day, Hulk. That, that's another one. Hulk and Galactus, both from Squirrel Girl. Um, uh, you're, you're familiar with the ebooks format? Yeah, okay. yeah. Horse ebooks being the most popular, but yeah, and I don't, know, I don't know what the source is for horse ebooks. It didn't have a source. It was actually written. Oh, it is actually written. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. That that came out later that it was a, a quote unquote performance art. Really? How do they? How do they do this? It's so. It, it, I can't imagine a brain forming. I mean, they might use like computer programmings to do it, but it was, it's not like some of the other ebooks ones where it's actually pulling from things like using Markov change. Yeah. Like I know I follow a lot of individual real humans who have set up ebooks variants of themselves. Yeah. They feed their Twitter account into ebooks bot. Yeah. And then that bot. I don't think I tweet enough for an ebooks account. Yeah. I don't either, but it, it, turns out to be hilarious because yeah some of them are really good ebooks tweet and it sounds like mm-hmm. a person but it's yeah. nonsense it's great yeah birds rights mm-hmm. a bear a bear is pretty great the single bear um are you familiar with uh at fem script intros no you will enjoy this uh it's a they don't tweet very often but it's someone who works in the film industry and they tweet um Every time they read a, a film script, they tweet the introduction of the female characters. So it's fem script intros? Fem script intros. So, and, and they substitute the name Jane every time. So, mm-hmm. not, you know, you're not revealing yeah. where the movie is from. Um, but it's, you know, a commentary essentially on how oh, yeah. horrible yeah. this is. So, uh, Jane is mid-30s and attractive, radiating a mysterious sense of determination despite her fragility. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've already followed this. Jane, 30s, has a warm, wholesome beauty, hair in a ponytail, natural face, truly alluring if it wasn't for the haunted look in her eyes. God. And it's just... All that. Tweet after tweet of that nonsense. Um, boring tweeter is pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, boring at boring tweets, but the O is a zero. Dystopian YA novels, pretty good. Yeah, that one's good. Uh, what about uh, this? Is a probably not one you cared about. Uh, Shire Reckoning. Yeah, I don't care about that. Do you know? Do you know what it no. is? I'm gonna tell you anyway. Yeah. Uh, it. So the events of the Lord of the Rings take almost exactly one year from beginning to end. Oh, wow. So Only tweet, a nerd would know that. They tweet the events of the Lord of the Rings <laughs> in real time. That's pretty cute. Yeah. It's, so it's like you're it's like you're on the journey with them. It's and do they just loop it? Yeah. Yeah. It just loops once a year. That's pretty cute. So I'm like scrolling through my Twitter, I'm like, oh, they just got to Rivendell. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. They're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. Uh saved you a click. Uh, there's fewer than I thought. 
Um, I found a lot of real people. All right. My actual favorite. Yeah. Is uh, Darth. I don't get Darth. I've tried to get Darth, and I don't. I don't know what I'm missing. Really? Yeah. So, Darth, the character Darth is a red panda in a Darth Vader helmet. Yeah. Uh, and Darth primarily is a, they're like a Photoshop master. Okay. And so, what they've been doing, especially during this election season, is using Photoshop to make really hilarious images from the election news so uh they every time they tweet a photo of donald trump they make his hands super super tiny okay but like the darth character is also just like really weird it has a very specific voice yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know how to explain it that's fair like i've i've seen darth and like every time i'm like i feel like this is the thing i should be engaging in and i i feel like i'm just missing it and they 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 have this like really long-running series of tweets where they're tweeting as the voice of like someone in the Trump organization hmm. who's trying to like put a spin, like a positive spin on something horrible that happened. Okay. So they'll tweet like, oh, you know, like, you know, we really got to try to make the, you know, Muslims don't have a good perception of Donald Trump. Like, let's work really hard to, and then like dot, 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 and then it's linking to an article about like how Donald Trump has said something horrible. Gotcha. Uh yeah. Oh the uh the Studio 60 folks like Matt Albee and Danny Tripp. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? No. It was the third TV series made by Aaron Sorkin before he gave up on making TV series but then he came back with the network and then he's given up again. It's a complex story. Um it was a behind the scenes drama of a show that was totally not Saturday Night Live because it was called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Right. Uh it was not great um but somebody years ago made fake accounts for a couple of the characters nice. that are still tweeting nice um i i did a uh a twitter a, a non-me twitter account yeah. a long time ago yeah um for 30 rock oh. I, I watched through all of 30 rock and i tweeted the uh what frank's said okay every time a new hat came up that's pretty good so it's like a couple yeah hundred, there's, there's a couple hundred of them uh mm-hmm. so now there's a as far as i could find it's the only collection on the internet of every, of every single, single hat that's kind of cool yeah man i found a lot of real people this is dumb <laughs> yeah that's why twitter's depressing yeah i also follow a lot of people who like i know in real life but never tweet i'm like should i keep following you is it weird oh i'm a very i'm i, I regularly go through my list and I need to. I'm at I'm at over 300, and that's that's pushing it for me. I don't understand how people follow like thousands. They don't. Are you a Twitter completionist? Do you like open Twitter and then like start from where you left off and read up to yeah time? I shouldn't be. I am, and I I feel like that's an important part of how I use Twitter. Yeah. Like it's people who follow like hundreds or even thousands. It's just open Twitter and see what's in front of me right now. Yeah. And then ignore what's not there when I'm not looking. I need I need to clear out because I've been adding a lot in the last month or two, and I need to I need to get down to like my always my weird justification was I should not I don't want to be following more people than follow me. That's a 
I don't under like. And that's and that's just a that's not a meaningful justification. That's just a justification to say like that's probably a reasonable number. Right. And I currently have uh, two hundred forty-two followers. Okay. So. Uh, I feel like people do that for vanity reasons a lot. Yeah. Like, I gotta have more followers than I follow, otherwise I'm I don't have enough followers. Like. No, but I see. I don't. I don't expect my number of followers to ever change dramatically. Right. So I'm just like that's a reasonable match. <laughs> I don't know how I have so many followers. I've been on Twitter a long time. Mostly uh, spam? No. I actually clean out the spam. Really? You like block a spam account if it follows you? I'll block and report them, yeah. So most of them, as far as I can tell, are real people. Yeah. I um, I find that when I, when I tweet certain words, mm-hmm. I will get followed by certain kinds of people. Yeah. It's like I'll... I'll tweet and it'll have the word Apple in the yeah. thing. And then like I'll get like five followers because they They all saw the just, word Apple. They just batch follow yeah. a certain you know, I haven't had that happen in a while. I used to have it happen more. But then they drop off. If yeah. you don't follow back within a, a day or two, they automatically unfollow. Because you can you can like run scripts on your Twitter account. Oh yeah. Do all the tasks. Yeah. Like and it's just a way to artificially gain followers is a lot of people if someone yeah, follow them, back. Follow them back. I don't. What you do. Uh, I follow them if I want to follow them. Yeah, I don't at all. But it's, it seems so dumb, like, following me as a mechanism to hopefully get me to follow you. Yeah. yeah. I have been on Twitter for a very long time now. Yeah. I kind of wish that my the current account that I use, which is my secret, yes. uh, is not old. It's not very old. Yeah. I started it. Ago okay. Or so, um, but my my original one in my name mm-hmm. is from like 2007. Yeah. And I was user, I was like under 10 million. Yeah. I think. And now there's like a couple billion mm-hmm. Twitter accounts. Um, but yeah, I really wish I like still actively use my like super old account. Yeah. You could. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I'm not gonna main, I'm not gonna maintain like a personal account separate from my. You know how many Twitter accounts I have. <laughs> Uh, active, I have five. I mean, like, I also, I own many, but I'm not, yeah. I have my one account that I follow. Yeah. So I've got, I've got, so I use uh, TweetBot, which is great. So I've got me, my first fake account, uh, which name I will not say on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and then three for this podcast. Do you want to use our unprepared Twitter account to follow all of these non-real people oh, i do i do follow we rate dogs on this but yeah i should that's a good dog oh it's cute <laughs> um yeah what, yeah what do, we, what do we follow right now we follow so right now we follow yeah uh and ourselves so my my personal account on your not used personal account but yeah, other than that, it's just, it's we wait draw we wait rate dogs and Jeb Bush. When I'm building the the show notes with all the yeah, I could just throw them all in there, just follow everybody. Uh, then I can have my account where I don't have to look at real news and just follow fake things. Be the account to make you happy. Yeah, we'll start with Kermit. That's what I use Tumblr for. 
And I use Tumblr. Have you ever? I have an account, but I've never really used it. Yeah, it's like I use I Twitter is like mostly real people and like news and information mm-hmm. sources. And then Tumblr is I follow just a bunch of like dumb shit posting humor blogs and Yeah. When I need a cognitive break, I just go there and laugh. That's fair. All right, I'm starting to follow people. I followed Kermit so far. <sighs> yeah. All right, now we can call it. We got enough episode. Yeah, we do. We still got one in the can at least. Yeah. We have like an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. For the next one, and then just these two. And Kermit follows a lot of real people. What a nerd. <laughs> Do you know, this is one more Twitter thing. Do you know the book, The Monster at the End of This Book? No. Okay. It was a uh, pretty famous, by famous I mean old, uh, book, Sesame Street book, starring Grover. Mm-hmm. About how, uh, and it was called, There's the, uh, the Monster at the End of This Book. And you open it up and Grover says, wait, what did that say? Did that say there was a monster at the end of this book? Look, you should stop turning pages. No, no, I'm serious. There's a there's a monster at the end of this book. Stop turning the page. And it goes on like that for a while. And then he's trying to stop you and he gets sad and depressed. And he's like, why do you keep, why do you keep turning the page? Stop doing it. And then you get to the end of the book and there is a monster at the end of the book, but it's, it's Grover. Yeah. Um, when I was when we were talking about weird Twitter accounts, I remembered this funny thing I found the other night that I want to show you. I think I sent this to you. I don't remember. Oh, I forgot the second half of that story. Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> you can tell your thing as well. But uh, the second half of the story was for the 45th anniversary of the monster at the end of this book. They did a Twitter rendition of it on Grover's Twitter account. Nice. Uh, which was pretty great. That is yes that. yes the markov chain cookbook <laughs> i look at this every once in a while and it still blows me away <laughs> you should make something from it <laughs> the mixture is quite soft but not so oily that it destroys most people unacquainted with mayonnaise 